sell that essential oils back in the day. Yeah. He was the CEO. Well, the founder was a pretty crazy, crazy individual and was always going down to South America and finding these like random roots and seeds and things and all this stuff. And he would have to smuggle them back all the time. <laughs> and so my buddy, who was the CEO, was involved in a couple like having to get him out of prison things. Oh, wow. Because he got caught a couple times. Smuggling <laughs> Wild, foreign yeah. plants. Smuggling plants, man. That had <laughs> been the draw of the job for that guy. I don't think that was the draw of the job. No? It was they, pretty they frustrating They take that stuff pretty seriously, too. Like, Very If you serious. ever try to bring a banana from yeah. Mexico in, you'll know. So he, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he have was like, I, my wife is notorious for like having stuff in her purse that she shouldn't have. So, yeah, every time she goes somewhere, somebody gets in trouble. and They're like, what are you doing with these seashells? And I'm like, Brian, you can't take that stuff. You know? But she so always So is your does. approach in the border, you're feeling nervous? This is a terrible story. She went to, I don't remember, she was somewhere down, down south, and she brought back a shell, and it was, like, sitting on her counter, and a crab, I kid you not, walked out. Came out? Yeah, oh, and we had it in our house for, like, a, a couple years, this thing lived in a jar. No way. Yeah, in a little can. Yeah. Did you guys feed it? Oh, yeah. She took care of it, your gave kids, it lettuce. No, my wife's a that? nurse, so she, yeah, anything uh, nurturing she's all about. But, no way. Yeah, my kids loved it. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> all the way in the airplane, man. Uh, yeah, there's there's some wild stories about that young living CEO, if you guys ever want to mm. Google that. It's, it's worth it's a read. It's pretty wild, yeah. It's worth a Google. I have to get him, huh? We've, yeah, we'll. I don't know if we'll ever. I don't know if we'll ever like, talk like that? about it. But S smuggling stuff? Uh, no, <laughs> not a smuggler. Uh, no, that, Kurt's not a smuggler. <laughs> no, but my Kurt's wife's lost three pocket knives coming through security in the last oh. three years. Yeah, yeah. So. that'll. that'll Brady, do you have any stories about that lately? You've been traveling. Any issues? <laughs> I've been trying. To, oh gosh, yeah, I do actually. You want, you want to get into that? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, so I. Slightly unretired from bow hunting this mm -hmm. winter. I went so back I to Minnesota and tried to kill a whitetail with my, my bow. So here I am. I've flown a million times with a bow, a million times with a rifle. I know everything about TSA, how to navigate the system. Get in there. I'm like, I have a bow up. I want to check. But I want to check as a firearm. Like, is it a bow or is it a firearm? I'm like, well, it's a bow. The lady's like, I don't know what to do with this. She asked another lady. They're like, yeah, since it's a bow, it does not need any scanning at all. It's not need any special scanning. So, like, do you really want to check this as a firearm then? I'm you like, haven't well, even heard this, have you? Mm -mm. So I'm like, well, this no, I guess <clears throat> not. And uh, yeah, they the throw it in the, in the thing, and I, I go upstairs all the way through security, sitting there literally at my gate. I get a phone call from my dad. I'm like, what are you doing up so early? I, was, I had to be at the airport at like 3 a.m. And my dad's like, TSA has been trying to reach you. I'm like, I have no missed phone calls. And they can't get a hold of you. You need to go and hurry and get all the way back downstairs. They said there's an issue with your bow. I'm like, what? The, there's no should be no issue with my bow. It's a bow. There's no ammo, no firearms in there. So I'm like, okay. So I call a TSA agent. I'm like, do I have to go all the way down there right now? And they're like, yeah. You and I'm like, am I going to get special clearance to come back up through here because I'm going to miss my flight if I have to leave the area and go all the way back down to baggage claim or baggage check-in area? Get all the way down there. And uh, another lady comes out, like a bunch of people. They're like, Brady, uh, you have an illegal item in your bow case. Do you want to talk about that? And I'm like, there's nothing in there that's illegal. You guys can scan it. There's nothing in there. They're like, well, we have a pair of brass knuckles in your bow case. <laughs> and I'm like, brass knuckles? Like archery releases? And I had explained to them then what the archery uh -huh. releases were and... I'm just like, what are the odds? This ha this happened to me one time. So I was I, I told Brady because yeah. my release is brass. It's a yeah. hinge, right? Yeah. And I went I went through. I always keep huh. it with me in my check bag. Yeah. And I went through. They pulled me aside. They're like, hey, 
you know, you brass knuckles, and I was like, not, not oh, brass knuckles. I'm like, I fly just, with a hinge brass release all the time. Never yeah, had never, yeah, yeah no. never had this happen before. And I'm like, and I had to and explain it to him. Like, okay, sorry, you're actually really good to go. But I'm like, can I get a fucking clearance here to go back upstairs? No. I had to go all the way back through. There we go. I was running. I always get to the airport super early. I hate being rushed in life and anything. And I'm just running through and I'm like, I think I was calling Trail. I'm like, Trail, you got to hear about this as I'm running through the airport. I literally get to the gate. They're announcing my name like, hey, is there Brady Miller here? This is the last call for flight to Minneapolis. I'm like, and uh, right oh, when yeah. I get there, like, Let's I'm ready. Like, oh, yeah, we expected you. You're the guy who's running. And then right, right when I got in, I closed the gate. And then I had to be the asshole who's walking through the plane. They were sort of trying to leave early. Yeah. And uh, cause it, was, like, Chris, it was really Christmas Eve. And so then I'm like, <laughs> the asshole who made the plane not leave early. Just you you have have because of my brass knuckles. You live in Vegas, man. You're trying to protect yourself. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. When that happened to me, I had to explain to the guy, give him a whole tutorial, how the, the whole hinge works, the moon, the everything. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't get, please show me how I can use this as brass knuckles. Yeah, because I had two yeah. of them, and they do look like, yeah, they, you know, they do brass look suspect. Knuckles. I mean, so I don't know what the way to do it is. Do I go forward? Do I carry my carry on then? Would that That's be what worse? I, did. Yeah. I carried mine on my carry on. What so, do you do? issues. Uh, just in my carry-on, yeah. 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 I was just afraid, like, they're going to lose it, right? Like, worst-case yeah. scenario, you shoot somebody else's bow, but maybe you can still shoot, shoot your release. But I the, didn't know uh, brass knuckles, those are illegal? I, yeah. I didn't think so either. I didn't know that. They're, like, wildly illegal. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. yeah. Well, I got I a pair, so you guys need some. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm going to be putting some brass knuckles on eBay. Right? <laughs> 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 <Huh>. <laughs> I have to cross that one off the new product line. Yeah, yeah, Stone Glacier brass knuckles brass off the list, I guess. Yeah, with the bow, too, it's always so easy. I checked, when I went ever. to Canada, I checked mine in as sporting goods. Yeah. Like, it was nothing. But that's why I almost wanted to check in as a firearm. Because I was yeah, trying to tell a lady, because I was like, protection, more, yeah. more security. I'm like, if you want to yeah. go scan it, go for it. And right. like, she's like, you don't need it. And I'm like, all right. So on the way back, I was like, all right, I dealt with this before. Like, you guys should scan this. And I'm like, really? And like, I forced them to scan it. Yeah. It's like, there is... Things in there. In there, there are brass knuckles. <laughs> There's not brass knuckles. <laughs> there like, are. Just be aware. Yeah, and it was super smooth coming back. Yeah, yeah. But Vegas, uh, I've never had issues in Vegas. You never know what you're going to run into at TSA. No, so <sighs> subjective to each individual. The brass like, knuckles. Yeah. The arch release is like the cousin of the brass knuckle. <laughs> <laughs> Brady was fired up about that. He was. He wasn't that Dropped fired up. Yeah, bomb. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. When he yeah. called me, he was not that fired up. Because I, I was like. I don't like being rushed. And to put me in a situation where I'm going to miss How a flight, were you? Christmas Eve, going to see my mom, I mean, <laughs> I my mom would not be happy if I'm going to miss Christmas. But it's a big deal. How early were you? Literally probably three hours early from my flight. <laughs> Brady likes to be early. I do too. I, I, I get it. I hate being rushed. I'd rather just yeah. hang out in the airport, yeah. dick around. Same. I hate being rushed. I like to people watch too. <laughs> I just freak. get a cup of coffee. You freak. Watch, you read a book. <laughs> uh. Well, thanks for coming today. We got special guests in the house. Yep. Yeah. We uh, we got Kurt and founder of Sun Glacier, right? Is that is that your official title? <laughs> no. I, I think it's more along the lines of designer. Designer? That gotcha. might fall into it, too. Founder yeah. and designer. Founder and yeah. designer. That's yeah. what we put on his business card. Do, do you have business cards? Do you have, like, a nameplate on your office? No. No, no. no we're not that fancy. <laughs> yeah. no, no. Lyle, what's your title right now? Uh, marketing director. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. We appreciate you guys stopping by. You're here for Shot Show, right? We are, yeah. You guys yep. made time. We appreciate mm -hmm. it. Popping yeah, you in. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to try to hit promo. Look, I'm only wow. seven minutes in. Last time, usually I'm really bad about it. I'm supposed to Getting be in charge of like make sure we. Oh, we there's a schedule. We, yeah, right. we, yeah, we hit the schedule. Yep. So we're, we're supposed to hit promo within the first five minutes. We're not doing too bad if we're only seven in, right? It's um, a lot better than we've been doing. 
Yeah, last time we caught it at the very tail end. Like 90 minutes. And I think we minutes. did. That's how they like it, right on the yeah, end. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's like when everybody's still listening. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think a few episodes ago, I missed it completely. Brady told me. Perfect. Sorry about that. Hey, um, we're here for the people. That's it. Uh, but you can use the promo code podcast if you want to sign up for a Go Hunt Insider account. Uh, right now, we're in research season. We're going to get into that and probably pick your, your brain a little bit about what you guys are applying for. I'm just curious as to how people are applying and if you're applying and, and how. Um, but it's a great time to sign up, do your research. You can sign up uh, for an insider account, use the promo code podcast. We're going to give you 50 points back into the Go Hunt gear shop. And I was talking to Katie earlier today. She said that through the end of the month, uh, insiders are going to get two times points there on your you purchases. One point's one dollar. Super simple. Um, also, insider in the app, you can do your research now within your app on your phone. You can just click on the icon and you can do all your filtering and do your research for people like Brady who are just constantly on their phone. It's been really hard. Am I on my phone? I am always on my phone, and it's, this has just made it even worse. My yeah. wife's not not happy. Yeah, just constant filtering. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you are or not, but I like to give you some shit, so I figured, why not? You have to, right? Yeah, you're single though, man. Yeah, you're good. That's right. I have a lot of time on my hands. You get a wife and a couple kids, the phone really becomes a thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> really frustrating so uh yeah use the promo code podcast sign up for an account it's a great time of year to do some research so with that what do you you're in shit you're here for shot you guys have a booth yeah we do yeah we have a, a booth over at shot which is a cheap show that was a great show um but yeah now we come down we do shot show we do five shows a year uh four of them are consumer shows and then this one's a trade show um not open to the public on shot show but yeah yeah more of an industry show so you guys are here for like uh who you guys what's your retailer your b2b side your category yeah like who are you guys here for yeah uh, honestly shot show used to be a lot about um signing orders and stuff with wholesale and it's not really that anymore it's more uh, media and communication things like that um honestly we come um what, what a lot of people don't know about stone glaciers we do a lot of military business as well mm -hmm. so we're here more for the military contacts and the military meetings we'll still have some meetings with a few buyers etc that are walking the floor but um, most of the orders and kind of the stuff that used to happen at SHOT Show, that just that's doesn't happen here anymore. It's all more media placement and stuff like that. Hmm. Nice. You yeah. say you did five shows? Do you do five shows? We do five shows, yeah. Do you do all of them? No, no. we used to. <laughs> that was, that's a lot. Yeah. That was a hard note from Kurt. Yeah. yeah. No, we, uh, Kurt and I were on this like sheep show, SHOT Show, which those shows are back to back. So we do this like two week long kind of bender, if you will, of... Just stuff we don't normally do, you know, because we're yeah. pretty simple family men. But, um, yeah, so we do these. And then Dallas Safari, SCI. Um, what's the other one? Oh, Western Hunter. Yep. Yeah. And then, yep, Sheep Show, Shot Show. Do you try to mix them up every year, like on who goes to what? So we do. Yeah, we do mix them up. Like, so we'll send guys from the team. Like, everybody goes. I mean, it's kind of requirements. Stone Glacier. Like, you're going to go to at least one show. Mm -hmm. um, I try to go to as many of them as I can, but it's, it's pretty hard. Like, and they're all like pretty much weekend, weekend, weekend. So if you did them all, you'd be out of the office probably a little too much, but mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's a it's lot. It's a strain on companies, strain on the family, strain on everything. Yep. It is. The yeah, way the show schedule works in the hunting industry, it is like, it is a lot in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I understand why they do them this time of year, right? It's availability yeah. and things, but man, it's always, the weather's always like dicey, right? Like yeah. there's a lot of people that don't make it to the show or if you're driving to a show, I know that that can be difficult. This For is, sure. um, this is our second year of 
Um, we use a, a, a third-party company that's um, that helps us with all of our logistics of getting the booth there and McKinsey? stuff. McKinsey? Yeah, McKinsey. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, but yeah. before that, we uh, <laughs> we literally were driving everywhere in, in our excursion that would break down in our trailer. <laughs> we did that. We yeah. did that, yeah, we, until, we, we, found, yeah, until we, had, we found McKinsey. Yeah, yeah, we had a truck, I remember, that, that oh, yeah. gave us some issues. Yeah, we had a truck that broke down. We pulled pulling a 24-foot enclosed yep. trailer, the whole deal, and it yep. break down and issues. Yeah, We this, always wrote Brandon into doing that somehow. Brandon was Brandon. the guy. <laughs> was always the Brandon guy. was the guy. Yeah. Yeah. He would have like a solid month and a half there where he was just pulling his hair out continually. Yep. Yeah. 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 It's good. It's, um, trade shows are fun. Like I miss the traveling a little bit cause it's just such a yeah. fun, like camaraderie thing. Like get a bunch of guys together and do a road trip. But now that we don't do that, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Show up. Yeah. We, show we, up merchandise your booth and then probably more there. awesome. You've moved into a different stage in your life. Maybe, huh? Yeah. Kids. Yeah. Kids. We're in that stage of like our old shop. I don't know if you guys were ever there, but it was pretty small. Yeah. And that we always call, I call that like the frat house, you know, <laughs> and then we built a new building and now it's like, we're married with there's, there's throw pillows and things. You know? <laughs> it's like we're in like a little nicer space. So, and then now we're in like a little bit better space where you're like, Oh, like now we can go on vacation. And that's like what the trade shows are. Right. So, yeah, somebody else kind of plans it for you, and you just kind of show up and work it. But there's still a lot of logistics, obviously, that go into yeah, it from our for end. Sure. But, but shows, yeah, it is nice. What show's your favorite? Um, I mean, we you really like Sheep Show. Like yeah. that one's that one's kind of the OG one that I think Stone Glacier went to first, a little before my time. Um, I like that one. Um, you know, they're all they're all special for different reasons. Um, but it's like uh, that one's pretty kids. cool. Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah, right. I love them all for different. Which reasons. one's your favorite? I love yeah. you all for different reasons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Shot Show's fun because it's a little bit like on a bigger scale, right? The booths are bigger. Like it's a little bit more business focused, so that's kind of unique. Yeah. Uh, Western Hunter is always a blast. Like we like going to Western Hunter. Somebody always wins something that we know at yeah. Western Hunter, which is cool. Uh, we but, feel the same way. Somebody's always walking away with something that we yeah. know of. Never me. Never. No. Never us individually. <laughs> no. But we yeah. always seem to know someone. Yeah, we've had it's some people win. Stoner Brandon, one, Stoner one attack. Brandon one attack. We've had yeah, some people Stoner won book clips. Yeah, that's yeah. He's like one of my both, both of them are good. It's one of my hunts I really would love to chase. That's just a lesson in frustration for me every year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pull it up. I get all excited. Nothing. I don't. <laughs> I don't gamble until hunting shows when I can put raffle tickets in. Thank you. Spend some cash. What, if, what if you really gamble? Then you could apply for more. So oh. you double your money, then yeah. take that, put it into apps. You did say I'm on my phone all the time, so I could bet all <laughs> hey, the time on my here phone. Here we go. We're on <laughs> something here. Yeah. Mm. Everybody makes money gambling, right? Yeah, dude, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever loses money. No, no dude. Never. Vegas, yeah, yeah. They all these places lose money. Vegas is in the hole. They yep. just don't look like it's all the crab and stuff they're selling. That's exactly. Where That's where they make the money. It's on food. It's food. Hotel rooms and food. Exactly. Entertainment. We appreciate having Kurt in. We've never had you on a on a podcast before. How many podcasts have you done? I've, I listened to probably two or three on my way, you know, to and from oh, traveling this weekend. Boy, I don't know, not a lot. Do you try to steer clear of them? Um, maybe not intentionally, but <laughs> I won't throw my name in the hat if not asked. Yeah. <laughs> like if somebody calls the night office and they say somebody want to do a podcast, you're not raising your hand yeah, for it. Like I, I gotta go use the bathroom. Yeah. Go back. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. Um, I guess. I'm, I wanted to talk to Kurt primarily because I, I wanted to talk, just pick your brain about design because I think you're, you're kind of the, you know, the, the brain behind Stone Glacier. You started the packs, right? And I wanted to basically kind of run through just like a little bit of your background and like what is uniquely uh, interesting about you and, and why you kind of took this path with building packs and hunting. So maybe give us a quick rundown on, on your background. Yeah, um, uh, born and raised in Montana. What, and, what part uh, of Montana? Uh, Western Montana, outside of Missoula. Gotcha. Yeah, just just west of Missoula, 
and then uh, went to college in Montana, went to U of M for a little bit, graduated from MSU, and then moved to Alaska. So I got my degree in teaching, and um, teaching was, there were a lot of opportunities in Alaska at that time, and I just really wanted to go up there to hunt and fish. That like just seemed L-Ed, like Like L.Ed, secondary? Secondary ed. Gotcha. Yeah, it was all high school, well, what, junior high and high school. What did you want to teach? Uh, my degree is in technology education and biology. Okay. So, but I ended up going to a small school up there in Homer, Alaska, and it was, as a new teacher, it was just a catch-all. I, I taught a little bit of everything, and which was pretty interesting. And so I did that for six years and then ended up working up on the North Slope in the oil fields and did that for another 18. And in and amongst all that's when Stone Glacier started kicking yeah. off. You're, you're married now with kids, right? Yeah. Did, were you married when you moved to Alaska? No, I wasn't. I moved up there when I was 23, I guess. And Hunting met, was like the main driver of why you wanted to go there? Hunting was definitely it. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was the number one reason I moved Montana up there. Montana had a ton of opportunity and still does but yeah. you still wanted to just something more it just yeah after growing up here at, at 20 some years old it's not that it ever that you got bored with it but there was always that next level yeah there are all these other species and i had a friend of a friend who was a teacher up there and you see the photos and you talk talk stories and man it just sounded like you were missing out if you didn't go check yeah. it out would know? that have been in what like early 2000s late 90s yeah late 90s late 90s yeah yep mid to late 90s so you've been hunting a ton of deer and elk and all that stuff yeah but you're hearing about moose and sheep and goat oh yeah yeah, yeah. that's understandable caribou i mean there's just yeah. all of these crazy adventures that these guys are going on that just felt like i i would have regrets if i didn't take the opportunity to go up there and and, yeah. and try to have that and in teaching it's not like you're going to save the, your money and go on a doll sheep hunt <laughs> yeah I really for sure right. so show up up there and get your residency and how was that on your radar though because i i mean i'm i don't know how old you are maybe 40s 51 you're 51 <laughs> yeah Holy peter shit. pan man look Damn. at this guy the guy is legitimately <laughs> we gotta get into yeah. that later yeah i got a i got a uh sheep hunting friend here in nevada victor trujillo i don't know if you oh, know yeah. him but he's peter pan as well but i yeah. think kurt's got him beat out yeah yeah yeah. yeah, Victor T is like one of the youngest, spryest looking dudes on planet Earth. But Kurt might have beat him. Now that I, mean, I know I you're 51, you're 50. that's unbelievable. I wouldn't have thought you were 51. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. I, I got to figure out how you're doing that. <laughs> she, she funny. Yeah, that's how. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I mean, I, I'm 44. Uh, I remember, you know, like the late 90s, same same kind of thing. And I was into hunting, but like Alaska wasn't on my radar. So I'm curious as to. Did you have somebody growing up that hunted sheep that had gone to Alaska? Like, how did how was that on your radar? I think it was mostly on my radar because I was in secondary education. So this was at a time in Alaska where they were looking for teachers. There were incentives. The mm. the salaries were the highest in the United States yep. by far. I mean, there wasn't anything that that touched it. They used to have a program where if you they called it Tier One, if I remember right. If you taught for 20 years, you could retire. The day after you retired, you start drawing your pension. And then you have full benefits beyond that medical. So I knew people that would go up there and at 44, they're essentially retired or they're moving on to some other thing. Hmm. So there were a lot of benefits that the state of Alaska was offering uh, teachers to try to draw them up. I remember that uh, when I was in school, 
the state of Alaska would send their representatives down to these education fairs uh, for, for teachers who were trying to get jobs and just recruiting, trying to pull people in. <laughs> so it was much more on all of our radar being in that gotcha. in, the edu- in education that that opportunity was there. I wonder if they still do that. Uh, are you thinking about going? I mean, it would have worked on me right. back then. Yeah. Probably if, I, if, I'd have, if I'd have known, if I'd have been, I've, I've told people before, even Branson worked here, right? Branson, you know, wasn't married, single. Um, I think he's in his mid, mid-20s, early 20s. And I kept telling him, like, you should go to Alaska. Yeah. Like, if, if you ever want to hunt these animals, like, it's really yeah. your best opportunity to go is to move now, go. I mean, work on a fishing boat, whatever you got to do. Like, go to Alaska if that's what you want to do. Yeah. So I, I've told people that, but I remember, I mean, me being... You know, in the late 90s, that wasn't on my radar at all. So I was just, no. just curious. I had two opportunities to go to Alaska, and one of them failed because of paperwork with the government because I wasn't certified to fly in a freaking airplane. I was always going to swear again because I was so pissed about that. You've been on the you've been on the list forever. You've been on, you're on like. the list. I'm seeing a theme here. That's yeah. probably that's probably yeah. the day that they figured out that this guy can't go. Turn, exactly. Even yeah. though I've been flying in helicopters all the time, <laughs> but since the government ended up with paperwork saying I could sit in an airplane so i couldn't go to do fisheries research and then our time to do some firework and i passed that opportunity up hmm. and my biggest regrets in life were those two that i didn't move to alaska go. yeah hmm. yeah now you're figuring it out though yeah it's kind of mm-hmm. so how long did you teach in alaska six years six yeah you like teaching i did i really i mean still to this day i think it's um yeah, one of the things I'm most proud of, and and honestly, later in life, I'd like to be able to get back into some, some sort of service into that teaching community. My my grandpa was a teacher, my dad was a teacher, just kind of mm-hmm. you know, has been in our family for a while, and I just it's it's really re- rewarding. Like you go home at night and you feel good, like you did something. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Yeah, but my wife teaches fifth grade, and she for a long time she taught online and hated it. And then went back into the classroom and I haven't heard her complain in five years since she went back to like teaching in the classroom. Like she really likes it. She's nice. just in front of people and the interaction, the kids and like see kids progress. And yeah, I, I, I can see I that can see for that. sure. Yeah. But the oil field brought you out though. That was the, that was the thing. Yeah, that, yeah, that was it. Uh, I had an opportunity to go up and do summer work. I uh, ended up on a piping crew up on the North slope and had just gone up to do summer work. And it was just a little too lucrative. Yeah, that's what I was, and, what and I was then, thinking. Yeah, and then when I was teaching, I really liked football, so I was coaching football. That started early, and all of a sudden, you're up there to do this thing that has drawn you up there in hunting, and there was zero time to do it. Mm-hmm. And even when you had a weekend, you know, trying to get out to go do something up there in two or three days, is uh, that, that really limits your range. Yeah. So, yeah, then I got into that shift work and had this – Two weeks, three weeks at a time, yeah, you could go do some exploring in that. So it was, yeah, that's that's what kept me there. You taught, you coached football up there? Yeah. Did you play football? I did. In high school? Yep. Yeah, my dad was a football coach too. Okay. Quarterback? Did, yep. Quarterback. Built like a quarterback. Tall, lean. (laughs) Tall, lean. Built Mm -hmm. just like a quarterback. You've been watching the games then? Uh, Yeah, yeah. We we caught up a little bit more yesterday. Who are you pulling for? Uh, I don't know. I've never been a Lions fan, but I kind of just feel <laughs> it's like... It's hard to not be this I, year. Yeah, yeah, I've never I, been a Lions fan either. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's even just, back in the days of Stafford and Megatron. You weren't a very Sanders fan? 
I mean, I just, I don't know, being in Vegas, like I, I was always so disconnected from the Lions and they were always the same old Lions. I don't so know, it was just kind of football hard. if I was a Barry Sanders fan. But man, yeah, like yeah. now you can be no. a Barry Sanders fan and not be a Lions fan though, right? I, yeah. 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 I saw something the other day. They said uh, they hope if they play, if they play for the Super Bowl, like they bring him back on a one day contract, yeah. let him take a snap. <laughs> oh, I don't want to. Wouldn't yeah. that be rad? That'd be pretty fantastic. sweet. I don't want to yeah. make you feel old, but like I don't, <laughs> you don't necessarily have... remember I Barry feel Sanders. Fifty one, two. I don't really remember Barry. Sanders really? so like <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm Curtis. 36 36 yeah. yeah so like I was getting into football it was yeah. like his he was coming off as yeah. I was like getting into football sure I mean I, I know of him and remember him but not like some of these other players that I watched growing yeah. up you know like Adrian Peterson mm-hmm. those kind of guys were more of my yeah. age you know yeah. but man this year it is like sitting on the bench it is hard to not want the Lions to win everything I know. it's amazing yeah. it's incredible to see it shows you what where I love it being, you know, in business now and family and all this stuff is culture. Like it truly is from the top down, just bred into people. Yeah. Like you, you're either, you're either that guy or you're not, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, Motor City, Modi, Motor, Motor City, City Madness, Madness and Dan Campbell, <laughs> MCDC. Like it is, yeah. it's incredible yeah, to watch. Yeah. It's so fun to watch. My kid yeah. was showing me something the other day that somebody had taken a picture, you know, like Fox News or CNN, right? That you've got the, the guy up there doing his thing, his broadcast. And then at the bottom of it, you got the headlines rolling through, you know, and somebody screenshotted. It, it was like, uh, Usher, Post Malone, Reba McIntyre perform at Super Bowl halftime. And then it had the two teams, 49ers, Ravens, Super Bowl. Yeah. Like it's predetermined already. Oh, interesting. That's yeah, it's a, a screenshot. It, it gets into the whole conspiracies of yeah. the, so you know, you, the scripted and all yeah. this shit. Huh? I don't think, believe. What do you think, Lyle? Is it? I don't know. I watched the documentary. I think it's on Netflix about that referee in like the nineties that Uh was um, making calls, making bets and stuff. And yeah. And basically it sounds like there's, you get a memo every once in a while. That's like, Hey, Michael Jordan doesn't get fouls called on him and things like that. So (laughs) I don't know if it's fully scripted, but I think there's maybe some, sometimes an agenda, right. That might run, run down. That could change, change things. But I would like to think it's not right. Like why would it need to be? I love to think that it's not scripted. And I just, the thing about the NFL is, so in the NBA, you got five guys on the court on one team, right? right. So you got six guys on the bench, it's 11 dudes. In football, you have 56 dressed out mm-hmm. guys, or, right? Yeah, 56 yeah. dressed out guys. How do you get everyone on the same page? It was yeah. like 300. You look at the <laughs> Right? Yeah. Or like maybe 56 <laughs> right. is a full roster or dressed out, whatever. Yeah, 56 yeah. or 52. But like, how do you, how do you, you can't get that many guys on the same page, especially when they're all fighting for, you know, playoff bonuses and Super Bowl bonuses and all this stuff. Yep. I just don't. I don't see how it'd be possible. It would yeah, be too no hard way. to keep it covered up, right? Like, yeah, and yeah. I just I don't want to. I don't want to believe it. I yeah. like watching. Yeah. I like watching it. I don't want to believe it. That's right. why basketball is better. No, no that's why it's worse. Is because you yeah. can pay off five right. guys really easy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna. You, get, you just gave Brady leverage for LeBron being the greatest. We no. talked about it. Oh. No man, no way. Yeah. Anyway, I took that on a side road, didn't yeah. I? Yeah. Real far. I mean, it was <laughs> Sorry, coming off a really good weekend of sports. Very good weekend. It was. Were you uh, were you hunting up there when you like? At what point did you start hunting? Immediately when you moved up there. So it um, no, it's not until you're a resident. So you had gotcha. to yeah, you had to hit through your residency. But I had friends that I taught with that would go hunting mm-hmm. or that liked to hunt every once in a while. So I was always trying to Learn. come on, let's go, let's go check this out. You ever been on a goat hunt? No, nope. yeah. <laughs> we found go. there's a tag on the other side. You should get this tag. Let's go. How long so, is Alaska residency? Six months or a year or what is it? That is 12 months. Alaska's Now 12 I need to full? look at it because, I mean, it was 
we can double 20 check. some years yeah. ago but yeah don't take my word for it but it was yeah it was i want to say it was 12 months and then there was uh restrictions on how long you could be gone within that 12 months so you couldn't just move up there and then go travel back. yeah 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 so but um yeah so we did some hunting right off the bat and then the interesting thing about it is that it's so different from right now because there were no forums there was no onyx there mm -hmm. was if you wanted to figure out a place to go you had to have a paper map you had to talk to somebody who would give you information who either trusted you with something and normally it's taken them years to figure out where they wanted to go so your learning curve was extremely steep there was there was no shut or shortcuts to information and so it took a while. It was several years before I felt like I had some spots to go where you were seeing some animals where you had gear dialed in. And it was before all of these, there were a few waterproof breathables out there, but it, it, there was no list to go out and buy your things or people to ask. Everybody was using different things. And a lot of those things were, were mountaineering based and, or commercial fishing based, you know, kind of mm -hmm. depending on where you're at mm -hmm. just to try to stay dry. So yeah, it, it, it was just a lot different back then. Do you remember your first trip? Like, what did you, what did you go? Did you go out on your own? Did you go with a buddy? No, no. I went with one of my friends and it was, it was a guy that I coached football with. And so on the peninsula at that time, they would have draw units for goat. And I think the, the draw unit, when, if you drew a tag, it'd go for six or eight weeks or whatever it was. And then if they didn't fill their quota, they'd open it up on a four day window, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And you'd come in and register to get a goat tag. So anybody could get one at that point. But you had to be local and you had to go down and buy the tag. And then they'd see what the quota was after that. So I said, man, we should see if we can't go across there. So one of our football coaches was a commercial fisherman. So he had his boat in the base. So I talked to him, see if he could run us over there. He said, yeah, man, that sounds great. Talked to the other guy who could hunt. And he'd never hunted coast before. He said, man, let's try to go over there. So we put this team together. They ran us over on, and uh, he actually ended up getting a goat but I was wearing nothing but wool mm. and it Solid. was mid October and it was wet and it was cold. And it was, fortunately it was only a day hunt. Cause I, I really don't know how you could have got dried out if it wasn't a day hunt overnight. Mm. So there were a lot of those types of situations where you found out that, well, I'm far from having this figured out. I mean, take away all the hunting portion and trying to find animals and how that mm -hmm. works just trying to survive in those types of conditions and be safe and all those things. So, yeah. yeah. It must be intimidating. I would think that first trip out, I, I yeah. think about this a lot. Cause we talked to so many different people that are coming from the Midwest or the East and they're coming out on an elk hunt. And I'm sure you guys do too. Mm -hmm. when they're looking to buy gear, but I talked to a lot of people and that's like this, they have this like hurdle of like intimidation. And a lot of it I think is just, you know, right now we live in a great age. I mean, everything's at your fingertips. You can Google it and, and do all your research that you want. You know, you didn't have that luxury, ob obviously. But, like, I think so much of it is just, like, I tell people all the time, it's just a stupid thing, but you're, like, you just got to do it. Yeah. Like, just just go put yourself out there, see what it's like. You know, you'll learn so much that first trip, even if you don't get one. But yeah. it sounds like you guys are fortunate enough to tag out on one. Yeah. 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 Really lucky, actually. <laughs> you know, sometimes that's just the way it goes. Absolutely, we had zero experience. Yeah. What was like? What What was the gear back then? Like, what was it? What was yeah. the known thing? Do you have a backpack? So, yeah, yeah, I did. I had a backpack. And now I'm trying to think of. There was, 
Jim Shockey was involved in it. There was this composite frame, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to think mm -hmm. of who made it. And it was almost a, it was wasn't far from some of the designs that we have right now, where you have this composite frame, the shoulder straps were adjustable on it, the hip belt, and it would take a series of different bags. And then, uh, and then you could buy the Cabela's bags, you know, the old Cabela's bags that would go on say a Kelty frame or one mm -hmm. of the old tube frames, one of those would match up to it. And so you could interchange bags. Uh, but as soon as it got cold, if it got cold and you had a heavy load on it, you'd snap the frame. So you had to be very careful about that. So that's what we, uh, that's, that's what I have. Yeah. That's what you're looking for in your backpack. Yeah. yeah. Especially in Alaska. Yeah. Right. It doesn't get yeah. cold. No, 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 you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. But I also remember one of the only waterproof breathables at that time was Cabela's made this stuff. And I don't know why I still remember what it's called, but it's called MT050, I think. And it was a waterproof, three layer waterproof breathable. And then it, but it had a fleece face on it. Yeah. So as soon as it got wet, mm -hmm. like you, you were wet for the day, yeah. but it'd keep you fairly dry to the inside. So those were the only specific ones beyond that, that, that I remember. Do you have boots? You remember like what kind of boots? Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy to even think about. Uh, have you guys heard of Hoffman? Oh yeah. Out of Idaho? Yeah. yeah. So they used to make a a boot and they called it the predator and it was that's a sick name it was it was an awesome boot but it was Write more of a down. pack style boot <laughs> with say a 14 inch leather upper mm -hmm. and an air bob sole and then they'd go in and they'd put i think seven corks in the front two corks on the back and then four right in your instep and but it was just it was really heavy rubber bottom you know, not something you should be taking into sheep and goat country just with yeah. you know, all the rock and scree. But yeah, that's that's what worked in Montana. So I just showed up with my <laughs> Montana kit and that's uh, what you did. Do you remember the first pair of boots you bought? Like actually mountain boots? Yeah, I bought a pair of Danners. Yeah. Uh, like the Prongor? Um, yeah. Those were my first yeah. pair of Prongor. They were pretty popular. Like in like I grew up in Sheridan, Wyoming. There like wasn't a lot of yeah, a lot of spots like you could actually even get boots, but like I remember uh, I used to get the Cabela's catalog. Remember that thing? Yeah. And so, like, I would always like earmark things. And, <laughs> like my family, like we didn't have a lot of money, so like my like you, my mom would always get you something out of there every year. And like one year, I earmarked them. And I was like, sweet. And then I got them, and they were the wrong size. Oh. <laughs> so, and I don't know if you guys ever have, like tried to like return back in the day, like out of a catalog order or anything. It's still the slowest process, but I end up getting them. They're sweet. And then um, yeah, the Danner Bobs on the bottom, those little yeah. like little. Yeah, the yeah, modules. Those are sweet. Yeah, the L Connor that had the Bob Soul. Yeah, yeah, American made Danners. Yep, I had some of those. Yeah, that was my first pair. Yeah, mm -hmm. I remember the Kenetrack was the first like I remember spending like real money on a pair of Kenetracks. Yep, and I wore those for I wore clear through them, clear through the toe. I mean yep. like everything. Yep, my second pair was a pair of Kenetracks, and I had them. I bet you I had those boots twelve years. Just kept getting them resold. Yeah. Finally, they're like it's probably not gonna happen, but I love those things. Fit great. I remember thinking, I can't believe I'm going to pay this much for a pair of boots. Mm -hmm. But they did the job. I worked all summer. Yeah. And it was like all my entire check for one pair of boots. <laughs> really? like, oh, this is a terrible idea. When, uh, what point did you, I'm curious as to like when you started designing packs or is like design, has that always been something you wanted to do, build things? No, I've always, I've always enjoyed building things ever since I was a kid. We had snowmobiles when I was growing up and you're modifying those. Uh, and then, enjoyed welding, had worked in construction. So 
just putting things together or modifying whatever you have wasn't wasn't new to me and then when i was in alaska and sheep hunting there were a few different style packs that were out there that were hunting specific but there really wasn't anything that was focused on weight beyond that to try to reduce the weight so was using things like north face and and um, uh, arcteryx and while decent packs none of those were designed to carry 115 pounds mm. you know which is going to be a minimum you have to carry out if you can carry the whole load with a doll sheep and so it became pretty uncomfortable and then so the next step was trying to modify some of the other designs that were on the market that were in hunting and then try to lose some weight drop some weight off of the pack. And that was really where the whole design process for packs started. So it was as simple as just cutting things off and then you cut things off in the wrong way and now you have a hole. So well, better figure out how to sew. So I need to fix this portion. And then you get that down you're like, well, I can throw a couple more straps on here. I could add a different pocket. And just over the couple of years just morphed into, it was like welding except it was clean and quick. So it was kind of fun to try to put things together. And you had no no concept in your mind of of like you wanted to build a pack. No, you were really just tinkering and like trying to make your daily life better. Yeah, just the pack that I had, I was trying to make it it better. But then once you got into how everything went together and you started using it more, you started coming up with some ideas that were farther advanced, where you're going to have to start from scratch. And then that's really where it all began. And, and then in, came up with something at the end that was completely different than what was out there on the market and had talked to a couple of companies and was just hoping to see somebody use it. I just wanted to be involved. I didn't have any interest in, in, in the business portion of it. And the companies I talked to, they already had their program. They were going their own direction. and. And so nobody bid on using it. So that's that's really when Stone Glacier started. I thought, well, it's either you say it could have been, or I wish I would have, or you just figure out to make some and just see what happens. And that's as simple as it was. That's all that I did. Made 60 of them. And I told Nicole, I said, well, it's, it's either going to grow legs and go, or I promise I'll sell enough to get my money back out of it. <laughs> And that's that's what we did. Sold those and just bought, you know, rolled back in and got a hundred the next time. Did you build those by hand? In. Were you were you sewing those? No, I wasn't. I would build the prototypes and the mm -hmm. samples, but man, doing it piecework from scratch, cutting, you know, I just couldn't do it. It would take me 16, 18 hours to build a pack from scratch, pack and frame. So that's, that's when I started reaching out to uh, several different U.S. manufacturers, and there was one, and we're still with them. And Where are they fortunately, at? Uh, West Coast. Yeah, West oh, Coast. And, and I would just call them all the time and be as nice as I could. And they said, man, I just don't know if we can do it with 60 packs. I said, how about I prepay production, I buy all the materials up front, I make sure it's on your doorstep. Everything's paid for before you even start. And that's how they finally ended up going for it. Hmm. So you teach yourself to sew then? Yeah. You well, my mom helped me. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, I don't really know what I'm doing here. You buy yourself yeah. a sewing machine? I did. Yeah. What kind of sewing machine? Do you? Remember? Oh, now I need to think is, of is what it was. It was a console. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. console. And then it wasn't very long after that. Um, taking the step up to a new Juki or one of those. Mm -hmm. They're like welders. I don't know if you've ever welded, but you can get a cheap welder and you can scab some stuff together 
and then you get a high horsepower welder and it changes your welding skill overnight just just the piece of equipment gotcha tinkering with gear though is pretty fun i had an ex-girlfriend who had a sewing machine <laughs> oh boy where's this going <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh just one ex-girlfriend i was kind of doing some of these same similar things like I'd wreck something on whatever backpack or piece of clothes and she could modify it or we're like adding new things to it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of fun. Kind of wish I had kept a sewing machine back then because it was pretty unique being able to work on your own gear, fix some problems. I didn't take it to the level you did, obviously, but like it's cool to be able to repair it. Yeah, it is. Make something better. I think today, like everybody's thought process is just throw something away or Mm -hmm. get rid of it right when it's broken. So. It's kind of nice to be able to like actually fix those things. Like one of the things I love is when like a guy sends in a backpack that was one of the first ones and they're still out there. People are still using them I have one. and it, it's yeah. And it's just beat up and you're like, holy cow, like I can't believe this thing's still functioning. And we're like, hey, we'll give you a new bag. Like or we're like, we'll sell you a new bag at a, a wicked good discount. And they're like, no, I want that one back. And so like our yeah. repair guys go in there and like fix up and send it back out. Right. It's awesome. Old bags so, have too many memories. I know. That's what they say. Out. Yeah. Yeah. When you when you're hunting you're hunting sheep I guess right this yeah. is kind of like the the driver from everything that I've listened to it sounds like that was kind of the driver for you as far as like working on your own backpack and I've heard you've mentioned it a couple times like the weight of the packs that you were using was was uh, like kind of the primary concern that you thought you could do better yeah um, are there any other things about the design of a backpack like when you in your brain when you're thinking about developing your own backpack, like what are the challenges that you're facing? And you're like, man, I could do this better. I should do this better. Yeah. So I think weight organization. The other thing that I found is, uh, there are some fine backpacks out there. Some that are still being used up there, developed up there, but they have a wider frame or they might be based off of a tubular frame. And I found those would work in certain circumstances, but, Man, when you're climbing through the alders and and I'm not a particularly wide guy, so like I don't have a lot of body mass mm-hmm. and and getting on those wider footprints that were shorter, it just didn't fit my body type either. And so trying to keep the back narrow, try to keep it slick so you're not getting hung up, um, and then still be able to stay relatively organized. And then of course, final one is just being able to pack 115 to 120 pounds out and keep it comfortable so, so the packs that you were using you just couldn't get you you didn't have what you needed i guess that's the no not in the the, the ones that I, en- I ended up using there at the end were all mountaineering style mm-hmm. packs and they were designed to be light there were several of them that were five pounds but you know they're they designed to carry 60 pounds at the most yeah what yeah. was your first pack though what was it like how big was it oh the what first one it? i made yeah the one you started selling, those 60 that you sold. Yeah, so there was two different ones. I, I built uh, one that we, we still sell is the Solo, and it was 3,300 cubic inches. And then we made the Terminus, which we have rebranded and made the new Terminus, but and it was 6,000 cubic inches. And they functioned very similar. They didn't have, I was all about as little extra fabric making them as light as possible and i've since found out people people like to have a little blend of both or the Mm -hmm. options to kind of go both ways how much did those weigh when you when you made them oh back then now i'm trying to were they lighter then they they actually were Uh, that's what i got you know there's a learning process to it Mm -hmm. because you can make things super light and then you start using them for four years and you start to see wear points yeah and so those were the things that we learned throughout this and you were just 
they might have been six ounces lighter. But the six ounces that we're adding in right now are very needed mm -hmm. for that. Did they have a load shelf in them when you were first they did. them? Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it was set up different. The load shelf was, was sewn into the bag and then came back around to the frame. Mm -hmm. So then uh, after a couple of years, moved that back to where it's attached to the frame. Now you have the load shelf with every frame, so it saves the cost on the bag. And then you can use the frame without the pack. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest thing is that when the load shelf was in the bottom, what we found is you always have this set ride height. So you're never gonna be able to elevate that load any higher than the bottom of your bag because it's sewn into the bottom of the bag. So now when you take that back and your load points, your load attachment points for that load thing, load shelf are going to be lower on the frame, more on the maybe the top of the lumbar. Now our attachment points come around, sling it, and you can pull back to the higher up into the mid portion of the frame. So it just helped with being able to manage the weight. Yeah. Yeah, and then it also lets you run multiple bags, right? So you can run yeah. any bag on, yeah, on the frame. Sure. So buy one frame, run any bag. So day trip, smaller bag, backcountry trip, you can run a bigger bag. Yeah. yeah. Was that part of your first design? Do you remember like Which the, part? The, the ability to exchange sizes of bags on the same frame? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it was, but I, I had this intention of it only being a couple sizes. Mm -hmm. I didn't ever, in my wildest th dreams, think that we'd have a lineup where you could run everything from the smallest to the largest. But in, in truth, the very first design, I had everything set up for the 3300. So when I calculated, I figured I could get all my gear, the days of food I need, all in the 3300. I could use the load shelf for excess days. Say if I was going over four or five days, all the food would go in the load shelf. And then when you spin around and come out, if you're fortunate enough to fill your tag, you're just a swap of, of food space for meat and you come back out. So in my mind, it was just that 3300. But it didn't take long before I started doing a little research and talking to people. They said, no, that's, you can't just have 3,300. Yeah. I would highly suggest you design something that's a little bit larger that goes with the package. How many days were you doing out of a 3,300? Oh, you could do 10, 12, whatever. Because, the, because when you think about it, the load shelf's easily 2,500 cubic. So really now you're effectively working out of a 6,000 cubic inch pack. And a 6,000 cubic inch pack, it's very easy to get 10, 12 days of food and all four season gear for one person. Now, if you, and then if you're hunting with a partner, now you're splitting a tent, you're splitting tripod, spotting scope. A lot of times you're, sp you're splitting cooking stuff. So you can gain a lot of volume back just by hunting with a partner. So that one fit pretty well there. I would have thought, I mean, I've done a bunch of back, I've done 10 days and I typically tell people like, you know, 5,900 is a good fit, you know, mm -hmm. maybe bump even up to like the 69, but I don't, I don't know that many people are actually using load shelf for, for, for packing mm -hmm. extra gear, you know, going no. in. And that isn't something that we, that we suggest now. That yeah, was my I, mindset when I started because I wanted the smallest bag possible. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm curious yeah. is, yeah. is uh, like, do you still feel that same way? Do you no. still pack that same way? No, I don't. And here's the reason is I, I, it is very, very nice to have the flexibility when you're in the field to do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And if you can add two or 3,000 cubic inches to your bag and only add six ounces, it's kind of a no brainer in, in, in my opinion. And then you don't have to, you don't have to deal with the load shelf portion mm -hmm. on the pack in. Um, you're not reattaching and attaching your bag every time you want to move camp. 
when you do that, it's a one-time deal. Once you kill an animal, and away you go. Mm-hmm. So it simplifies, and I just think it's worth the extra six, eight ounces, whatever, to have a larger bag. Yeah, convenience, right? Yeah. Um, what were you taking in on those first hunts? Like 10, 10 days, if you're going 10 days out of 3,300 cubic inch bag, yeah. what, what are you packing? So I was using uh, one-man solo tents. Well, actually, it was a two-man, but it wasn't two-man for me. It was basically a one-man. So Bibbler <laughs> made the eye tent, and it was yeah. a single-wall tent. And then um, as light a sleeping bag as I could take, I think I had a Moonstone 32-degree synthetic. Um, trying to think of some of the other. But there were things I wouldn't take a spotting scope. I wouldn't take a tripod. Um, I would, I was only using, um, those, uh, little pocket Leica 10 power mm-hmm. binoculars, those little mm-hmm. tiny things. So you were sacrificing a lot of, I don't know. And when you get in that situation, many times you think, man, I wish I had a spotting scope. And I actually ended up going with one of the little tiny Leopolds. It was almost like half of a, yeah. of a mm-hmm. binocular. I, I think it was maybe 20 power is what I ended up using. So really trying to minimize all those things. And, and, but I almost had to because what I was trying to do is make one trip in and one trip out. Because effectively, you'd be able to double your range if you could do that. And time always ended up being the limiting factor. You only had X amount of days and you could guarantee you're going to have a couple of weather days mm-hmm. somewhere in there. And so if you were able to get everything out in one load... That, that was a big difference opposed to, to shuttling loads. So if I could keep the weight with a, with a bone cheap at 115 to 120 pounds, that was something where I could keep moving. If you're talking 150 pounds, now I'm traveling everything twice without a doubt. I, you know, I couldn't do that in there. So, yeah, you left a lot of things at home. Yeah. Left in a lot, a lot of convenience. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember your, like the weight of those packs? Like fully loaded, you're going in for ten days. What are you talking? Oh. Thirty pounds? Forty? No, with food you'd be more than that because I don't think it'd be very difficult to get under a pound and a half a day for food. Mm-hmm. Even even nowadays with all freeze dried. Yeah. So I I would say it would have to be in that forty five to fifty pound range. Gotcha. Yeah. It's light. So you're kind of light. Yeah, I'm not that. I don't know. I, I'm curious. That's why I'm I'm, in, I'm interested in talking because yeah. I, I think you've always I don't know. Do you pack the same way now? Do you feel like that's changed? And I guess this is is leading into some other questions I had. Was I was I was curious as to what uh, is always in your backpack, and then what do you think that generally people pack too much of, or that they pack that they don't need? Like what are what are things that you found that you've ditched over the years, or things that you've added over the years? Um. So yeah, on the on the first part of that, it's like an eight part question. Yeah, yeah no, that's okay. I a, a lot of that is is really country specific and hunt specific. Mm-hmm. So take for example, there we all know that there are going to be certain situations where maybe you don't need a Swaro eighty on this hunt, and you can take something that's smaller, the little ATC, or maybe you don't need one at all. And so I think that. That's where you get your big variations in weight. Or take, for example, on an archery hunt to a rifle hunt, I'm going to carry a larger tripod because now I can shoot off of it. And I, I think that that's worth carrying an extra six or eight ounces where in archery season you might carry something that just holds your your, your mm-hmm. spotter. But 
you know, some of the things that I now carry in my kit all the time that I didn't used to is I used to just carry a stove with enough fuel kind of as an emergency backup and wouldn't count on cooking every night. So try to take things that could just be rehydrated or just a lot of bars and, and that kind of stuff. And you didn't necessarily look forward to mealtime, but you know it was enough to keep you keep you moving. So now I do uh, when I carry my stove, carry enough fuel, and at least one freeze dried type good meal for evening. That seems to be worth the effort uh, for me. Uh, the other thing I've started throwing in is a pillow, one of those little blow up pillows. Mm -hmm. and I know there's lots of them out there. And I wish I had all the hours that I was uncomfortable and got horrible sleep back because it makes a huge difference being able to get some good sleep. I've gone the opposite. I've ditched my pillow. Like, Did you? you got yeah, I don't yeah. take one at all. Those little inflatables, even though they're like oh, 2.3 ounces, it always just squirts out. Yeah. I always lose it in the middle of the night. I put it somewhere. in the hood of my sleeping bag. That's what I, that's that's what what I, I told him. Yeah. It doesn't fit comfortably then. <laughs> Is it because you're too, you're too tall? I'll just roll up a jacket. Some guys, yeah. I think, blow them up too much, too. Could right? be. Like, yeah, and they're I, just rock hard. Yeah, so I like a like, little, mm. like, I got a big head, so like I like a little indentation <laughs> in there. Yeah, yeah. that's it. And put it in the yeah, like, hood of your sleeping bag and your money. Yeah. Mm. Do you guys get that question quite a bit at Stone Glacier? Like, is they want like full gear list? They want an idea oh, yeah. of what they should bring. Yeah, yeah. And we, I mean, the hard part is is everybody's a little bit different, yeah, right? Subjective. Like, because I'm, like, I'm kind of the opposite of Kurt. Like, I go pretty minimal on my clothes. Like, I can get by. Like, I'm more blooded guy. Like, I can get by with like pretty minimal clothes, mm -hmm. right? Like, I don't take a lot of extras. Yeah. Like, just what I need. But I like food, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so I try to take as much food as I think I can actually eat. Like, I don't like to be excessive with it. But, yeah, man, like when you're glassing all day and you're kind of bored, there's nothing better than, like, a tasty snack. Yeah, that's yeah. the one snack you look forward to the most. Uh, I don't eat a lot of these, but uh, Snickers bar are, like, my go-to. Like, mm. I like to slide a few Snickers in my there. Man. Yeah, <laughs> one a day. Yeah, and then uh, I like to, depending on the friends. Like I don't do it for all my friends. I like to sometimes like hide like snacks too, like something that they'd be surprised with, and then <laughs> you'll be up there and be like, "What's up?" I got a buddy um, for them or for you for you, everybody you eat yeah. in front of them. That's <laughs> just, uh, You're like, man, like, you look miserable. Yeah. Look what I got yeah. to <laughs> No, I like to share them. But we had a, uh, a buddy who would always pack in beers, and yeah. like he would like my not dad. really tell you. And so then you'd be like, oh, this is great. And uh, he was hunting with my other buddy one time. Well, it's actually Dustin from Mount Tough. Yeah. And, like, they, like, hiked in this spot. He had, like, three beers or whatever. He gave them all out. He, like, opened his and then was, he, like, didn't know it. He tipped it over and, like, spilt it all over the ground. And so, like, he went to grab it and it was all empty. And, like, mm. dude, they were, like, far back. <laughs> and he was so bummed that he hiked that thing in there and never got to drink it. But, oh, yeah, I don't, yeah, food. I try not to skip on food. But my dad not used to do this. He'd always pull out a cold Coke, like, when it was like down and out, you know, it wasn't going to happen. Or if we killed something, you know, just yeah. like a little celebratory cold Coke. It was the best. Yeah. What does your food look like for a day? You don't look like a guy that is like, you look, I'm, this, I don't know if you'll take this as a compliment or <laughs> I don't mean to, but you look like you must maintain a pretty good diet. Like you, you, you look lean, you look thin, you know, you look like you must work out. still. So I'm, I'm curious yeah. about your diet. Um, well, I'm, I'm fortunate. My wife, Nicole, does a very good job of keeping me in shape and puts a lot of effort into our meals. And I'm, I'm glad it's not left to me because it, it would look much different. So yeah, we eat pretty clean, um, pretty much all wild game. And then salmon and halibut, we saw friends in Alaska and they seem to hook us up every year. So 
Yeah, it's pretty clean in that respect. Uh, but as far as are, were you talking about yeah, what like you when you go on a hunting? backpack hunt, yeah, what's a day look like? Um, so most of, I package everything up by day. Most everything is going to be in that three thousand range as far as calories, and I find I know that we can burn much more than that. But I don't need it if if I bring it. I just feel like when I'm full, I don't operate as much. But most of it ends up being bars. I've tried to take a little bit more in the whole grains area because I think that fills you up. Because there's sometimes you can eat a 200 calorie bar and it doesn't feel like you ate anything. You're just starving anyway. Mm -hmm. So I think being able to do that and then take one freeze dried meal for the night, try to stay in that 600 to 800 calorie range for that one. And then also try to stay away from anything that's super high fat, trying to keep the you know fat, carbs, protein balance in there, uh, just because we eat a fairly low fat diet and you get some of these meals that are 50, 60, 80% fat and you eat it and just don't operate at the same level for me yeah. anyways. And then also trying to keep the salt down in some of those freeze dried meals because I feel like you can get some of them that have a pretty high salt content and, and uh, I can feel that as well. So, but it's pretty simple beyond that. A lot of protein bars and then more recently tried to pay attention just to the number of sugars that are in things. Cause when you go that route with a bunch of dried, you start calculating up every one of these bars as 15 to 20 grams of sugar. Yeah. All of a sudden you're looking at this and you're like 10 times the number of sugars you eat on a daily basis mm -hmm. when we're trying to train. And, and so, I don't know, just trying to, trying to hit that middle ground opposed to trying to hit a cheat code on it. It is yeah. so frustrating with all the bars we have available today that all of them still have metric tons of sugar in them. Yeah. Just, I don't know why. Yeah, I've been on a no delicious. added sugar diet. Yeah. Like just nothing with added sugar in it. I won't eat it. You have been? Yeah. I feel great. Long? Uh, I'm only about a month in. Yeah, but man, you feel awesome. Like, mm -hmm. and then after about a month, you'll like start to notice, like some like dropping some lbs and stuff. And I used to like work out way more, and then I don't know, life got in the way like over the holidays and kind of last month. And you're like, ah, get back on a little bit. But um, yeah, I've just been really trying to steer clear of anything yeah. with added sugar. Yeah, it's the only way to get those bars to actually be edible, though. I mean, if you really know, there's all some of the ones like, yeah, just get rid of it. Doesn't I mean, add anything. there there are some there's some better ones out there for sure. But like when you're just talking about a bar in general, you're gonna have to add something to it. You're you in know? the mountains. Yeah, yeah and the way I look at like if I'm gonna eat sugar, that's why I pack the Snickers, right? Like I actually yeah, want to enjoy actually it. Want right? a good one. Yeah, yeah, like I'm gonna, you know, it's nothing better than a Snickers when you're hunting. Oh, dude, like it, after it you, hits. yeah, like right, like right before you start packing out, right? Like did all the work, got an animal, got it all boned out. Sit down, and eat a Snickers. Let's go. Yeah, right, I said yeah. that before. Nothing tastes better than a Snickers. Yep, up yeah. there. Yeah, this this podcast, we're back from the pee break, but we're going to take a hard left here because as we were walking out, <laughs> Lyle decides to tell us that he's been shot. Yeah. Not today. Not today. Not, not but recently, like, no. He is in Vegas, but, but we, I mean, I think Kurt's story is more interesting, but like... This hard left about being shot, We yeah. uh, what happened? Yeah, uh, well, I was telling Trail, um, we were breaking to go to the bathroom, and so like... Uh, I have a smaller bladder, like just like a part of it is all this, but uh, and what's so, my excuse then? Yeah, well, I don't know, just a little, little lady Frosted bladder for you or something, but uh, <laughs> but no, when I was in high school, um, I, I played football forever, and then my senior year, I just didn't see eye to eye with one of the coaches, so I thought, man, I'm gonna go give like cross country a try. So I went and did cross country, and um, 
I, I was actually like pretty good, right? Like all you did was run. It was fantastic, right? Like no one yelled at you and like you didn't have, you didn't have to be in the right spot all the time. And like, you know, like it was like, this is good. And uh, I was always, I was a wrestler too and I'm pretty successful at wrestling. So like I appreciated individual sports, but I like team sports as well. But I was like, man, this cross country thing's the ticket. Um, and so it was uh, the big state meet. We did the meet, our team did great. Uh, we went back home and the next day is opening day of Montana uh, rifle season and so we were like at this little party with all our friends and uh, one of my good buddies Tony Larson who I'm still friends with today like one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in your life he um he and were like we should go hunting tomorrow right like opening day deer season like that's our tradition you know like cool and like it just happened to be we had another friend there and it was kind of one of those scenarios where like he was kind of interested in, in going hunting with us but I think he just wanted to hang out and so you know, normally we just hunted together. Like that was like our thing. Like it wasn't really an invite for anybody else to go, but we're like, Hey man, come with us, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, we were going out to Tony's place to hunt he lived about 35 miles out of town. I lived a little closer to town. So I went and picked up my buddy and I remember, uh, like we're like loading up his stuff and he has this tiny little revolver. And I just, I just remember thinking like, obviously he doesn't know what we're doing, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know, but like maybe we'll shoot it, right? Like, you know, we'll just shoot it in the dirt and that'll be a fun thing and he'll get to do that. And so we go out and hunt and it was terrible hunting, like 85, 90 degrees, just super, super hot. But there was a lot of prairie dogs. And so uh, we started shooting prairie dogs with our hunting rifles <laughs> and, you know, curious boys, like, you're like, well, let's go and see what this looks like. And so like we started like kind of like going out and then you'd see it, you know, another dog and you'd shoot it. And so we ended up being like pretty far from the truck. And we were just kind of chatting and like talking about it, like, man, this is a good time. Thanks for coming, you know? And we're like, well, we should get ready to go like, go back home because my mom's gonna be wondering where we're at right and so we're standing in like kind of a circle like you know so like you're my buddy brady this is me no this is tony and this is me and i just i was looking down at the ground i remember that like vividly and i hear a gunshot and i was like whoa i was like who shot who shot right because we we're like we're all standing right here no one would shoot and everybody's kind of like ah not me not me and my, my buddy is over he's like and he's kind of like looking at his gun and I looked down and I was telling Trey, I was wearing, you remember River Ghost camo? I had the River Ghost camo pants on, new, mint. <laughs> I was stoked. Bottom of them, I bought my boots, my Kendricks, <laughs> right? So, uh, and I looked down and on my left leg, there's just this like pool of blood, like starting to go down my leg. And I was like, oh man. And uh, about that time, it was about the same time that Austin Powers movie was out. And I was oh, like, yeah. remember, like, you shot me, you a-hole. Like, <laughs> like, that's what I'm thinking in my mind, right? But then I like put my hand on it and it was like, it was weird. It was like, uh, it was super hot. Uh, it didn't really hurt that bad, but it had like, I remember like the skin was like, kind of like almost like a baseball, like just a big bulge. And you're like, mm. whoa, like that doesn't feel good. So I, we like turn around and look down and my truck is like, dude, it looked like just this tiny dot. And I was like, oh gosh. So we like literally raced down there. I'm mean, like keeping pressure on it. Like these guys got all our stuff and we get down there and we're in my 1966 Ford uh, truck, like this old ranch truck that I was driving, which Dude, I think top speed ever. I got it to like sixty-five miles an hour. Were you driving? Uh, well, I, going I was. Back? Uh, no, I was gonna like. I mean, I drove there, but uh, my buddy Tony's like, "Hey, I'll drive." And so I. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and, and Tony is he's probably like one of the most like calm, like uh, level-headed people you'll ever meet in your life, right? Like he was in the military and ended up actually serving the military for quite a while after all this. But um, so we get in the truck and like I lay in the front seat and I I'm in the passenger seat and I'm just laying there. And I remember, like, I kind of just, like, it felt good to, like, just, like, lean over and put pressure on it. But when I would take my hand off of it, like, it would be, like, 
And you're like, well, that's just no bueno. And there wasn't enough new room for my buddy, so he had to get in the back of the truck, right? And I remember thinking, like, as we're driving 100 miles an hour down the road, like, that had to be, like, just a terrible ride in the back, you know? <laughs> and so I'm thinking, we're going to get there, and he's not going to be in the back, right? Like, and so uh, it's about 30, 35 miles. We race into town, and uh, we go to the emergency room, and the, my buddy jumps out of the back, and Tony gets out of the front, and they, like, just leave. So I remember just laying in the truck, and it was, like, eerily quiet. And I was like, no, not going to die in the truck. <laughs> doing paperwork. Right. And so I just got out and, like, like hobbled myself into the emergency room. And the lady was like, oh, God. She's like, oh, oh. she's like, well, let me help you. And I was like, no, I got it. And I just, go, like, got up on the bed. And I remember these two older gals working in the emergency room, and they needed to move me from bed to bed. And they, like, started to pick me up, but they weren't, like, strong enough. And I was like, no, I'll just get in the other bed. So I got in the other bed for them and then passed out. And then woke up about a day and a half later after kind of everything had settled down. But... Yeah, it was pretty wild. So who shot you? Uh, it was the buddy that went with us, and he had this revolver, and it's crazy. You like actually like flipped open the um, the cylinder, and then you pulled this little pin back. Mm-hmm. When you pulled this little pin back, it would let you like dump the shells out. Mm-hmm. And they think what happened was he pulled that pin back, and it actually shot the bullet out of the cylinder and not the barrel. And so, like, it doesn't have any trajectory then, right? Like, because he had the gun. Like, he. I mean, we talked to him about gun safety. We we're like, hey, dude, like, you know, you're new and and but yeah, it just man, it hit me. So yeah, twenty-two long rifle right in the hip. How, how close? Uh, oh, shoot, probably four feet. Oh wow! Yeah, hmm. like robbery style. Like right there. <laughs> and you were you were out for a day and a half. Like, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, this, they did the surgery or whatever, but like, I don't really remember. Like, it was about a day and a half. Like, once I got to the hospital, until I really started to like wake up and remember like what was going on, but. Um, so yeah, they did the surgery and I mean, I was like not passed out that entire time, but you just don't remember <laughs> everything, you know, but yeah, it took about a day and a half before I was like, started to put the whole thing together mm-hmm. again and can kind of like process it. But. And that's why you have a small bladder? Partly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, uh, it hit some of my bladder, hit my small intestine, large intestine. So they took some of that out. Apparently you can just sew those right back together. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of crazy. And like in, in the town where I grew up Sheridan, like obviously this stuff like doesn't happen, but luckily mm-hmm. there was, uh, a guy there, a surgeon that had experience with these things, and he was able to clean it all up. But yeah, so I have a scar like from here all the way down, like this. Really, like, I don't know, like like looking back, I'm like, I don't know why you would make the scar look like that. Like, you know, like I'm glad I'm alive, and like it's just a scar. But like you're UIC like, section. yeah, no. but you're like, this seems like like this doesn't seem like you would need to do that. You know, even my wife, who's a nurse, she's like, yeah, they didn't need to be that big. Oh. You know? So he's yeah. like, let's just get in yeah. there and see what we're working with. Yeah, pretty much. I think that's what he did, but. Yeah, That's so obviously crazy. it's pretty crazy, you know, kind of wild. But well, thanks for saving that to when we broke <laughs> to go to the bathroom. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, it's just it's so long ago that you kind of like you kind of forget that it even happened. Honestly, like it was. Is that the craziest like ago. situation, life-threatening type situation you've had out mm. in the woods? Yeah, I've I had my I had a guy, my brother, um, like he, he was chopping wood, and I was like, "Don't do that. You're gonna hit your hand." And, and he like stuck it an axe in his hand pretty good but we were yeah. able to just fix that up and he actually was able to do the hunt but i have a cousin that lost a finger though there's quite a lot of blood and you're like oh this looks terrible <laughs> but um yeah that's probably the worst i would guess yeah. like, worst thing i've seen i've seen some things but that was the worst yeah, yeah. kurt ever you've done a lot of solo hunting right yeah any you ever have put yourself in a pinch um well i think we've all put ourselves in a pinch but was fortunate yeah. enough to get it out get out of it and then uh not do it again <laughs> yeah. or done some things where you thought oh that could have really went soft yeah, yeah. i was really lucky there but no yeah. not, nothing like getting shot yeah <laughs> gun safety folks Boy, it's a big deal. yeah so now i'm i'm 
not, I mean, I'm sensitive to more gun stuff. Like, I just try not to put myself in situations with people that don't know. Or if I do, I try to educate them. You know? yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's pretty well. Bow hunting only? No, I shoot guns all the time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, it's not. I had my kid up yes last night actually at the range. He got a shotgun for Christmas, and we went up and shot shotgun, shot twenty twos. Yeah, and you know, like at the shooting range, they've got uh, like individual bays built mm-hmm. out. You know, like where the berms are built up like eight feet high, and you've got another bay next to that, and you've probably got like five of them, six of them. But there was a, uh, yeah, I was telling him there were some kids uh, on behind us in the bay, <laughs> but for whatever reason, they decided that they move all their targets to the side bay, so they were shooting towards the bay beyond them like oh, just, wow. just through the berm and i was like hey i shouldn't the, do that <laughs> the, the back of that bay is the intended direction that you yeah. ought to be shooting so i think i think the thing that i learned from it mostly is like i mean my family grew up i mean guns were like a part of our culture yeah, right like we grew too. up on a ranch yeah. like you like you shot a gun every day at something probably you know yeah. um and like we were always taught like um my dad and my stepdad were always very much like this is what you do with guns and so like part of you is you're like a little bit embarrassed almost that like this has happened to you because like you know you're like you're like dude like we like we know about gun safety but it just goes to show and this is why i always tell everybody like it could happen to anybody at any time so you really have to be mindful of those things because while they're awesome they they will get you what were you taking on your first sheep hunts as far as weapons go i'm curious like gun what what were you packing (laughs) so when i first moved to alaska i well, my senior year of college, I had I'd always shot Weatherby's, so I went and bought a, knowing that I was going to go to Alaska, I bought a 375 H and H. They Weatherby had just come out with a rifle that had a synthetic stock and was stainless, and it was their mm-hmm. first model. But they didn't make it in anything bigger than a 300 Weatherby, so I went and bought one, and then had it rechambered to a 378 Weatherby, and that's what I hunted with for years, kind of with the intention of. Okay, I don't have a lot of cash. I'm gonna have one rifle yeah, one and, and hunt everything with it. And that was that was what I used the entire time I was up there was a three seventy eight Weatherby for everything. But I had it pretty trimmed down for what it was. And you know, made some upgrades here and there, ended up with a carbon barrel on it before I left. And hmm. yeah, so not your not your standard sheep round, I would say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what Brady would take, though, huh? 300, which... i take my 300 rum. Yeah. yeah. Go big. Go big. One shot at a time, right? One shot at a time. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is, I don't know if you ever heard, if I have to put a round in and I don't end up shooting, mm-hmm. I have to pull my bolt out yeah. to actually get it out because it can't eject. Yeah. You could the fix action. these problems, you know. <laughs> can you, though? Yeah, I think you I'd could. probably still manage to do them on a different gun. You too. might. You might, yeah. 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 You still yeah. have to do that? Yeah, I still have to do that. Pull, pull the bolt. I have to pull the bolt completely out to eject around with the bullet in the cartridge. I'm sure, I'm sure Brady's safe, but remind me not to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't seem that efficient. That's why I never have anything in there, because it's like, only when I'm going to get ready to kill, and right. I'm yeah. going to kill it. So yeah, if you went to shot your odd ad, yeah. and we loaded one in there, I would literally have to open it up, put the, push the bolt release, pull the bolt all the way out to get that round with the that bullet That seems on insane. Yeah, precision. <laughs> it's built for one purpose, Trail. Fair enough. Remind me not to mess not with built for mass, Yeah, for mass repeatability. Yeah. Just one and done. One and done. Nice. Um, did you, <laughs> were you going to follow up? No, I was, oh. was going to go a random dire- different direction for a second. Yeah, you go guys, ahead. Okay. I just wanted to ask, like, thinking to myself, if I built gear, no one would probably buy it because I'm so, like, dialed in and, like, a weird 
psycho way. How do you balance like what you want to build compared to what you think a lot of other people might like as well? And that fine line of single shot rifles. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like falls into that, but like, yeah, there was that shift. And I learned that in the first couple of years where I was building exactly what I wanted. And yeah, that might fit a portion of the mm-hmm. crowd, but normally it was a smaller group. So what I've tried to do, especially from the backpack perspective, is do anytime you can make it a modular setup. Mm-hmm. So you can choose to have it or you can choose not to have it. Obviously, once you get into apparel, you get into things like that, you really don't have those options. And so trying to walk that fine line between being minimalist, but having enough features and making it functional. Because there are some things out there where when you remove a feature set, you make it less functional in the field. Now you have to decide when is it functional? Is it because it's convenience around camp because I want to have all these little zip out pockets or I want to do this? Mm -hmm. Or if I'm in that situation and I have a one-time opportunity in an animal, that better be absolutely functional at every time. So you really kind of quantify those out in your feature sets of, of what's convenience and what's not. Mm-hmm. And and then of course as our customer base has gotten larger, we we're in the business not to build what Kurt wants. We're in the business to build what our customer wants too. So trying to offer more varied products that will fit all of that, everything from the day hunting organization to the minimalist to the, you just kinda of have to take all that in. And and really where that comes in is we'll have ideas, I'll go through the design process. And then bring everybody in and we go through it and say, okay, is this, does this make sense? Is this a good idea? Does this provide what we're being asked for? And so that ends up being the process. Mm. And, you know, just going back to the team with renditions. So it's just not my opinion on anything. Yeah. Is that your day to day? Well, it's a little bit of everything. It's anything product. So it can be anything from production to sourcing to communication with factories and then, the the job has morphed where there's a little bit less on the design side and it, the development development portion of a project ends up being very time consuming so you come up with an idea you can put it together but now you have to put together the entire package to make it how do you communicate it you have to build a tech pack you have to manage all the materials you have to have yields quantity so there's a lot of things that goes in go into it on the backside once you have the product mm-hmm. so there's all of that and uh um we have one other guy there uh, one other guy in our, our shop taylor that works with me and we just split up a lot of those things so do you yeah. you buy, you bounce ideas off each other or do you try to keep those like separate to work to a point and then say hey check this out oh I think there's lots of ideas that are thrown around where we're like, we should build this. And you can kind of like, Kurt's just like, yeah, yeah, we could. We we do that. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, to Brady's point, like, I mean, it is, it is tricky to like figure out what, what our customers want and like still stay true to the customers that help Uh get us kind of going. And I think we, Kurt, and I say we, (laughs) the Roe, Kurt does a nice job though. Like our Terminus pack is a great example of a pack that really in a lot of ways, I think Kurt built from himself, but it speaks to a lot of our niche customers still that, you know, are looking for something that is as absolute light and minimal as possible. So you always have that, but yeah, as our audience goes, the feature set kind of goes the same way. But you always want to stay true to like the foundation of your brand, right? Like that less is more kind of philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we bounce ideas all the time. Is like, it a democracy? Do you come up with a product and say, "Hey, what do you guys think?" And you kind of look at yeah, it. Yeah, most say, of the time, I, yeah, I, I really do because I think that 
I think that it's important that we only have, because we, we really do have a small team. So there's a limited amount of time over the course of 365 days that you can, you can develop certain things. So you need to prioritize and not get sucked down the rabbit hole on something that's, that is going to take you in a spot where it's wasted time. So mm -hmm. I really try to do that up front from the design perspective to come up with the ideas and have a clear path that these are the things that we're going to put my time worth uh, before we do waste that time. Yeah. Do you have any products that you come up with that they were like, eh, I don't know about that. Mm. You think any? I was just curious. I, yeah, I can't think of any right no, now. We, I mean, we have some stuff in development that we're, we're like retooling that we're excited about where you like, you kind of thought like you hit it, like this uh -huh. is going to, like, this is going to work Yeah. and it does work, but there might, maybe it's a fabric or like a seam or something where you're like, shoot, like we have to rethink that process. Mm -hmm. Like our gators is a good example, mm -hmm. right? Like we made some original gators and we're like, these are pretty good. And then we used them and we're like, eh, these are okay. You know, and then you kind of like kept going back. So that was like a two and a half, three year long process of like getting those dang things. First set of gators. Yeah, to where you want to. Yeah, yeah, vinyl harness too. Yeah, same. That yeah. one took forever. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. We didn't we didn't set a time frame on it. Yeah. We said we wanted to make something that was unique and that works. And that's what's sometimes nice. that's what it does. Yeah. Not setting a time frame, just using it until it's finally the perfect yeah. product. Yeah. I think the hard part is in my mind you can always improve on something. Mm -hmm. So you have to decide at some point that this is what we were shooting for. Yeah. Yeah. We're going yeah. to production with it. Yep. Yeah. And that, yeah. That philosophy is like in, it's like in everything you do though. Right. Like I'm sure you guys do too. Like everything you do could be always better, but at some point you have to say like, we have to just go right. Yeah. Like we have to release this feature. We have to do this. Like it's going to work. It may not be exactly, exactly what we want, but it's going to like, you know, work at a high level and high function. And Kurt, like he won't tell you, but like, everything's going out like at a super high function. It's the small things that he sees those little details where you're like, Oh man, we got to fix that or retool. And the nice thing is like most of our backpacks and all the U S made stuff, like we'll make small inline changes all the time of like, Hey, this should be different and just yeah. fix it and never even let the consumer know. Yeah. The goal, the goal is right. Like you said, we, we do this all the time as well. And it's, is it going to benefit the customer? Yeah. Hugely. Okay. Well then let's, let's mm -hmm. produce it then. Like we don't need to make it that yeah. little bit better. This is already hugely beneficial to the customer. Yeah. Right? I think failure, failure to launch is like the biggest kind of like hurdle yeah. for everybody is it's not absolutely perfect. Well, what's perfect, you know, like no such that. thing. Right. The, deci it. the decision is, is this beneficial to the consumer and in, in a, you know, in a valuable way of what the monetary value is on it. Mm -hmm. If the answer is yes, then ship it. Yeah. You know, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think that takes a group because if you leave oh, it, it does. I, I'm yeah. the individual that would la not launch. Right. I'd be like, nah, I don't know. Not like, ready. We should do this. Not I'm ready. usually the guy when we have an idea and they're like, yeah, yeah we're ready to go. I'm like, well, what about this? Couldn't it do this? Could yeah. it do that? Well, yeah. yeah, it could, but we can't get there right now. We'll get there, yeah. but we won't get there right now. Yeah. But yeah, that's a hard, I feel like I would never launch anything. That's why I don't want anything. <laughs> uh, your first pack was the crux. Yeah, the, the frame was frame. the crux. And then yeah. what was the like the jump to the X curve? And what was the need for that? And I would I'd be interested in just hearing your idea, your thoughts on like when somebody should have a crux versus a X curve. Yeah, you bet. So yeah, started out with the crux and uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, it has straight stays in mm -hmm. it. And and it was a little bit of a hurdle to get over because if you look at many of the mountaineering packs 
most of them have some sort of curved stays in there and yeah. a lot of them have aluminum stays where you can match them to your back and really what you're trying to do is in the end you have two load bearing surfaces you have your hips and you have the top of your shoulders and really any contact on the back of your shoulders is stabilizing the load so trying to get as much comfort as much surface area as you can in those areas and of course the load transfer on the hip belt onto your hips because you're going from a vertical to a horizontal so it's not as easy to get that load uh, disbursement as it is on your shoulders of course and so most of that comes through your lumbar well there's a certain number of guys women too who have wear a pack in a spot where when they put the straight stays on your back sets the angle at which the lumbar is going to contact your back and given the lumbar is a pretty small area that we're trying to transfer load to if you don't have that angle correct then your lumbar isn't matching up your lumbar pad isn't matching up to your lower portion of your back and then it, you could easily increase the pressure by twofold because half of the lumbar area isn't mm. and so by creating the x curve stays we're able to change the angle of that lumbar pad so you can get a hundred percent match up with with the back portion of your back then you get better load transfer so really that's all that we're trying to do in between the straight stays and the and, and the curved stays and so that's where the x curve came from is trying to hit that that number of people who would prefer the curved stays very similar to an arch in a boot where somebody can put a boot on and they can tell you right from the beginning that this is going to cause issues or this is doesn't have enough arch in it and and just a comfort so it's it's really difficult to put people in certain categories because we've been proven wrong many times uh, and what we do find is the crux frame the straight stays will fit more people than the x curve mm. which is not what i thought when i was first designing it but we see this especially at trade shows and we see this at our shop where if you have two loaded packs and you don't tell anybody about them being curved or straight just try on these two packs and tell me which one's more comfortable a majority of the people are going to pick the straight stays surprisingly enough and and so but the other thing that we found about both of them is that with either one through correct fit most people can wear either one of them but that's where our customer service comes in so if somebody does buy one online they weren't able to try both of them if you have issues with the fit, we can get you another set of stays or send it to us. We'll put the stays in and we know enough about it that we believe this is going to fix your problem. Hmm. And so we try to go both ways with it. And that's one of the things that, that we really try to stress is when somebody buys a pack, put weight in it and take it for a hike. And if it doesn't fit exactly how you want, let's take the next step. Do you have one that you prefer? I do. I prefer the straight stays. We do find that taller individuals prefer the straight stays and shorter individuals prefer the straight stays because the curve of the stays in the X curve are set. So if you don't fall within that, that specific realm and you think about when those stays wrap around the back over, over the back of, of your shoulders, if your shoulders are riding higher or lower, it can drastically change the angle that the lumbar contacts because you've changed the whole angle that you're wearing the pack. Hmm. So, yeah, the, the 
And then that's what's kind of been surprising over the course of running this business or, you know, making product for 14 years is it's really hard to classify people in one or the other. Uh, I like the X curve. I like the curve stays. I like the curve stays too. Yeah. But I, I mean, to Kurt's but, point, like it, and part of it, I think we like, we may have marketed the X curve a little too heavy, but like, um, yeah, there's no, we haven't found a definitive way to say you have a curve back, you have a straight back, you have a curve back, right? Like we've done all the, the tests, stand against the wall, put your foot, you know, your fist back there, tennis ball, whatever it may be. Like I don't think there's a definitive test or there's not a definitive thing that says you have a flat or a curve back. Honestly, the best way to know is to try a backpack on. But I would say the majority, about 80%, I think it's like 80% of our customers prefer the fit of a Crux over an X-Curve. Hmm. When you say put weight in it and try it out, what sort of weight are you talking about that you would suggest people to throw in? Well, I think it depends on the individual. So depending on your hunting style, I would suggest putting the max weight that you're going to be carrying because that's when you're going to notice the mm -hmm. biggest difference. Take, for example, for me, I could wear either stays up to about 60 pounds in multiple days, and then I see a difference between the stays. The straight stays mm -hmm. are more comfortable for me. So if 50 pounds is all that you're going to put in there, that's what I'd su suggest. If you're going to be carrying heavy weight, I would get up in that 80, 90 pound range at least and and put some miles on it, but not uh, not so heavy that you won't be able to put three or four miles because allow the pack to move and mm -hmm. and and do that. Yeah, I like the curve stays too, but I'm trying to decide if it's just because of like those are the stays that I use and that I like, yeah. you know. And I'm like, yeah, oh, these are better, and I, I like them because I like them. You know what I mean? I can't yeah. tell if I'm I'm inherently biased because that's just what I'm <laughs> I've yeah. liked and used. I was curious when you go to a trade show and you have people mm -hmm. try on both packs, can they, do they generally tell you which one they like? I mean, yeah. and to me, it's so much like it would almost be, I would want like a couple days with it. You know, I'd want to mm -hmm. go out and hike around with it. Yeah. And see I mean, we, we're putting most of our backpacks, we have about 50 to 60 pounds yeah. in them when they come to a show and try them on or come to our show and try them on. So you're going to get a pretty good idea of like, like, oh, this is going to fit. And a lot of times it's like, it's a blink reaction for most people. If they put one on and they're like, oh, this feels good. And then they put the other one on. They're like, oh, this is like, this is great. Like they're having like this reaction of like, that's going to be their backpack, right? Some guys will put them on and they'll be like, this one feels good. That one kind of feels good. And that's kind of the person like me, like I can wear a crutch too, but, right? but at like, the end of the day, know. like, um, I think if you're on the fence, um, I would just, I would steer somebody to a crux. Like, I just think overall it's going to fit you probably long-term better, huh. but yeah, it's just, it's just kind of a blink reaction thing. And like, we do have people that put one on, go and use it and come back and I'm like, man, like, like maybe that wasn't for me and get them different stays and man, they're good to go then. But mm -hmm. yeah. the, the other thing I like about the crux too, is that you end up normally above the lumbar, you're going to end up with more of an air gap. Mm -hmm. So they'll vent yeah, a little bit better. Just because you're not matching that curve as it comes around the back of your shoulders. Mm. So if, if somebody's in between, that's another thing that I mentioned. I know that you're like here in what, maybe half hour or so, you're doing kind of some customer service stuff mm. with our guys here and just kind of running through some of the products. Um, this is probably kind of a lead in question and I would, I'd be interested in just hearing what kind of stuff you're, you're going to prepare for those guys just on, I think it would just help our audience too, you know, mm -hmm. on what kind of packs people should buy or whatever it is you have prepared for mm -hmm. them. I think it'd be good to, to talk about, but I've had the pack I'm using, I've had it for, I think 2017 is when I bought it. So it's getting pretty old. Do you suggest like updating shoulder straps, hip belts, anything like that as far as foam goes? Cause this, this last Elkhorn, I was wondering, I wonder if I should update these shoulder straps. 
if the foam's getting compacted? We don't see no. that very often. Really? Gotcha. I, you might see, say, a 10-year-old a pack that maybe has lost a little bit, but mm -hmm. not much. You, you just don't see much with the, with the density of foam that we're using. Sometimes they see the, the lumber pad will get kind of squished out. Mm -hmm. If anything, I would, I would say we, we send out a few lumber pads, lumbar pads here and there. But for the most part, that foam's like it's got a lot of memory in it. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it fits great. I just remember thinking, I wonder if I'd benefit if I went mm -hmm. to like new shoulder harness just a little bit. Cause mm -hmm. you know, you get on like a long, I mean, this was like nine miles one way, right? Yeah. It took me three days to pack this bull out. And, uh, you know, you get to a point sometimes where your hips are so sore and you take yeah. those little breaks, right? Like you let it out and you put all a lot more pressure on your shoulders mm -hmm. and then you mm -hmm. cinch it back in. You kind of yeah. swap back and forth towards the end of the hike. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I wonder if I could benefit from like some new shoulder pads, but that's why I was just curious. Yeah, I mean, we have them. <laughs> do you sell them? Do you, yeah. part, do you part things out? Yeah, we'll sell stuff individually. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, we don't always sell them on our website. We just found that, honestly, we weren't selling that many. Sure. You know, like, they just they weren't a hot commodity, so we just took yeah. them off. But, yeah, like, if you call up, like, we swap belts all the time for guys and shoulder straps, more foamy lumbar, things like that, whatever you need, we'll, yeah. we'll ship it. Gotcha. What, uh, what kind of... Like warranty, do you guys do you fix packs? You have stuff come in? Yeah, so we have a, a lifetime warranty against ma like manufacturing defects, right? So like if a zipper breaks, a seam busts yeah. out, like we're gonna replace all that. Uh, you, you know, and to be honest, and it was probably get it, the customer service guys kind of mad, but like we're pretty dang liberal. Like we've had guys kick a backpack into a fire, you know. We'll like, oh, you name it, dogs chew things up. Like we we'll pretty much fix anything, and most of the time it's at little to no cost. So. Gotcha. Um, traditionally, honestly, dogs and mice are the hardest mm -hmm. on backpacks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know who's storing their backpack on the ground in a shed, but don't do that. You know? <laughs> so hang those things up. Keep them out of your pets because dogs really love them. But yeah, especially when they get bloody. Yeah, but yeah, like we'll we'll fix things all the time. Like I said, we get bags in that are ancient and fix them up, send them out. Um, rarely, um, it does happen, but broken stays, like we'll fix those too. Things like that. Most of the times we think the things that happen like the stays and whatnot are, are normally people get 100 pounds on and then zip it and drop it on the ground. And those are the kind of things that yeah. break stays. But Well, and horses and four-wheelers yeah, and like, yeah. Yeah, those types of things. Yeah, quite a few things. But yeah, well, man, I, we love fixing gear and sending it back out there. Like I would rather have a guy buy a backpack having his entire life, you know, and yeah. just keep using it. I think that's awesome. When you guys run through somebody through a pack fitting, mm -hmm. like where do you start? So what I start, say, if somebody's coming in from the ground up and wants to know what pack, um, start from the very beginning. What are you using this pack for? What is your hunting style? So, and what are the lengths of the trips that you're taking? And so let's start with number one, we'll get cubic inches and we'll figure out where you're at. Are you looking for one of our smaller internal day packs? Is that what fitting or are we moving into the frame style? And then once you get that established, then move to which configuration of stays are you going to do? So get them in both both styles of, of frames if, if you have the opportunity. And then go to bag size. And, and you'll find that many of our bags, there might be a range of bag sizes that will work for somebody. And so they might pick three of our largest packs and any of those will have the volume that you need. But you need to make sure that you have the volume to start. And then after that, it's feature set. So we know these three are going to work. Do you prefer a center zip? Do you prefer a side zip? Uh, are you an archery hunter? Are you gonna wanna strap your bow on the back? Um, are you a rifle hunter? Uh, 
what spotting scope do you carry? How do you want access to it? Some of those types of things, and it doesn't take long. In just a few minutes, you can whittle it down to right where you need to be, what's gonna fit that hunting style mm -hmm. and that person the most. And I think a lot of that preference also falls around what they're used to using. So if somebody's using a bag in the past that is a side sit there, that's how they're used to getting into it. They'll, they'll kind of gravitate towards that. Do you have one that you prefer as far as zipper goes? Cause this is something yeah. like, I don't think about that much, but as I've thought about the packs that I've had over the years and I've had just about every one of them, it's like a real minimal thing, but I definitely have preferences things that I like. I like the horseshoe on the 5,900. I yeah. like the center zip of the 7,400 that you guys mm -hmm. discontinued that yeah. you don't make, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like a center zip and yeah. I've, I'm pretty, you know, I know that I do. Yeah. Yeah. Have, yeah. If I'm not testing something else that we have going on, I'll either be using a sky archer or a terminus. Yeah. yeah I, I've always preferred the side zip. Gotcha. Yeah. I like the, I'm an archer guy too, which is funny cause it's, it's a great, great bag. Not, not our best seller, but mm -hmm. it, I think it's awesome. Like, really popular. And then I like a 7,900. Like, I don't know. Sometimes you just want to go for the space. Man. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, and like the great thing about the way Kurt designs the bag is like, you're not really jumping up a lot in ounces to have that bigger bag. And so oftentimes if somebody's on the fence, you know, 59, 69, I just, hey, man, go for the 79 because you can't go wrong. Be mindful, right? Like, don't overpack it now that you have this extra space. But mm -hmm. sometimes that extra space is nice. You noted size for the type of hunt that somebody's doing. Do you have kind of a category that you could fit people in saying like, if you're day hunting or if you're doing an overnighter, you should look at this range. If you're five to seven days, you should look at this range. If you're eight days plus, mm -hmm. look at this range. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I try to err on the side of a little bit more volume because I know something that would be super frustrating is make that investment and say this doesn't it. this doesn't fit what i want especially when you're like to lyle's point you're only talking a few ounces in between all of those so i think some of the the best questions that you can ask people are everybody uses a different gear kit as we know so some of your huge volume sinks are going to be your sleeping bag and your tent and not only which one but how are you packing it so if you're not using a compression bag you're eating up a ton of volume inside. So it's well worth the $35 to get a true compression bag to get your sleeping bag a small volume. And I prefer to use them for all of my soft gear. So my tent will go in one and then say my puff layers will go in one. And now all of a sudden you have dropped this volume. And the other thing that it offers you is it, you can more efficiently use your space in, in, in how you can pack just because you don't have these odd shapes and so I think if you can start with that and then, so you need to know the type of kit that they have. Mm -hmm. And if they really are minimalist, then you're going to do a three to five day and you have a, a, a good tight sleep system, then something like a solo can work for you. But if you're carrying other things, you might want to take up to the 59, but solo 59, those are your three to five day bags. Once you get over five days, you start eating up so much volume with food you really should start taking that step into the 6,000 to 7,000 cubic inch range. And, and you can quantify those right, right in those areas pretty easy. And then, but to also ask the customer, do you have any plans of doing a 10 day trip? A year from now, are you planning to go to Canada to do something? What, what kinds of things do you have coming up? Because it's gonna be worth your while to make that investment in this one if you have, if you think there's a potential of you going. 
And so those are, those are some of the questions that I ask when they're trying to decide. On volume. Hmm. Yeah. I'm having a bit of a bit of epiphany because I'm, I'm always like, yeah, I don't want to carry an extra stuff sack. You mm -hmm. know, I just, my sleeping bags in my, you know, normal one. I don't mm -hmm. normally carry it in a compression sack. And I've always thought, ah, it's just, yeah. you know, I, I don't need it. And it'll just be added weight. But in reality, I'm just taking up more volume within the pack when I could take a smaller pack, which would be sure. lighter. Yeah. <laughs> and it would just be more compact. Yeah, the, the nice thing about compression sacks, I mean, to Kurt's point, like they do make things smaller, but they also add a lot of like just waterproof, right? Yeah. Like you, you don't yeah. have to have a... a uh, one with the seams tape, like just that compression of that down in that bag, like you can submerge them for quite a long time before you like you see any moisture. So, so it's in your bag, right? So it's already yeah. going to be somewhat protected, but it just adds another layer. I mean, we always joke like, uh, I mean, we we pack pretty well, but our bags we're always like stuffing stuff all the time because we're taking photos of them, so they got to look as best as possible. Mm -hmm. So like you, at the end of the day, you'll dig your bag out and you're like, this is an absolute insane way to pack, but the pack looked great. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit different mentality. But if you're going to buy one bag, if you're going to have one stone glacier, Sky 5900 all day. You can day hunt out of it. Yeah. You can do weekend or yeah. five run it, Run it in bivy mode without a lid. Put the lid on it for a little extra space. But, I mean, it's by far still the our most popular best-selling pack, <laughs> Sky 5900. Yeah. Yeah. I like the beaver tail on it. Just it's good, fold, yeah. It folds out nice. I like mm -hmm. the front pocket on it. Yeah. The beaver tail uh, is awesome if you run it in baby mode because then mm -hmm. you you know because then your that top's going to be closed down yeah. so you don't need to, to access that top but yeah fifty nine hundred hard to beat yeah I never yeah. use a top lid I just hate top lids I always notice that about you yeah I hate them that's why I like the seventy four hundred because yeah. I can do ten days out of it and I don't have to carry a top lid yeah you still have that bag yeah, so yeah, yeah that. Good. I use it this yeah. year <laughs> yeah that's awesome yeah I just like it I mm -hmm. wish. I, th I think it's a nice size, like I said, and then I uh, I just don't like top lids. It's like the it's the kitchen junk drawer of backpacks. You just throw shit in it that you yeah. probably don't need, and it sure. just gets, gets loose. Yeah. yeah, gets sloppy. So I just yeah, lid management it. that's important to us. You got to manage your lid. <laughs> we talk about that all the time. Yeah, just take care of your lid, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you got other questions about gear or anything like that? Oh, I do. What what new do you guys have? Like, and mm. then where you, where do you think you're you're taking it? Yeah, we, I'll answer a few and then Kirk can talk about some. Um, so we have some new apparel this year. Mm -hmm. um, first, we have, I mean, we have a, a lot of new colors to start, like, and that's, we always kind of joke and not to bash our friends at Yeti, but it's kind of a Yeti year and, and some products and that they all got a lot of new colors. So um, a lot of grays, <laughs> you know, I love those guys, but just new colors, it's great. Uh, so a lot of new colors um, in that respect. And then some new insulation pieces. Uh, Cirque Light Vest, um, which is, you know, the vest version of the jacket is pretty hot fire right now. I mean, they're flying off the shelves. Great insulation layer. And then... Um, Use vests. Andrew, Andrew talked me into a vest. This yeah. He's like, yeah. I think you should be looking hey, at a vest. We talked about, you know, like a product where we're like, hey, you know, Kurt has the ideas or whatever. Mm. The Cirque Vest with the hood. That was my idea. <laughs> you can take claim to that. I can one? take claim to that. Yeah, and so yeah, I do. I use that one a lot. Um, traditionally, I'm not a huge vest guy. Mm -hmm. Like I like one, but um, I'm also a hood guy. Like I'm kind of a believer that everything should have a hood. Yeah. Yes. But I get made fun of all the time for that. Right. Everything should have a hood. Yeah. But you can get a lot of hoods, and so um, and so we heard yeah. that. So we have a new uh, helio pullover. So that's like our insulative mid layer mm -hmm. that doesn't have a hood. Um, so that's really nice. And that's like a nice, like everyday crossover piece too, right? Like you can wear that, um, just, you know, you can wear it today. Like we could replace that thing with one and you'd be good, you know? Mm -hmm. So stuff like that. Um, we have a new bino harness coming out. Nice. Um, it's kind of a, 
uh, similar design and features, and Kurt can talk about that as of the current one. Um, but we've added some wings on the side, so it gives it more modularity. So if you want to run a uh, Kestrel and a Mag, or if you need mm. a bottom pocket, you can integrate those now. So a lot more kind of feature-rich products in that sense. Uh, we have a new Tokeen backpack, which is a 2,800 cubic mm-hmm. inch bag. It's a day bag. It's made out of our uh, SG Ultra, and, and I, I always butcher this acronym. It stands for? Uh, well, yeah, it's a UHMWPE. Yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm know. a marketing guy. I literally have to write that down every <laughs> time. UHMWPE. Like, yeah. yeah. Ultra high molecular weight yeah. is what it, That's what it stands, yeah, for. stands for. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So that one's popular. Um, what else we got? Um, well, we're going to have uh, uh, a new lifestyle clothing oh, line yeah. coming out. <laughs> That's kind of a big one. Yeah, so we're working on like an everyday lifestyle line. So it's a couple collared shirts, some pants, kind of a technical pullover with a hood. So you like yes. that? Yeah, so that's coming. We should have those in March. So we're excited about that. Like what we found is um, we're always hunters, right? But you're not mm-hmm. always like in the act of hunting. And so uh, we're also, we're like, man, we like making gear and we, we feel we're pretty decent at it. And we were always wearing everybody else's stuff. We're like, we should just have our own line of this. So, um, yeah, so it's kind of a new channel for us. So hopefully it's it's well received. Um, again, a lot of time <laughs> went into design and developing the product. So um, they're very fo- kind of thoughtful in mm-hmm. in their intention. So hopefully people bite off on them. But. Where do you think we're going, Stone Glacier? What I mean, do you, more clothing line? Do you think you'll see yourselves going more into like tents, sleeping bags? You've already got those. I mean, do you think you'll see... You know, stoves, um, floorless. I, I, yeah, yeah, we, we haven't talked anything about stoves, but I think that there are, there there's enough space for us to look at some of the other portions of hunting while we focus very highly on the rifle hunter mm. and high elevation that there's there's lots of people that carry around bows and mm. and on our tree stands yeah uh, no not, <laughs> not, not that far no, <laughs> yeah no not we're not that crazy no no no, no, no still not staying that in the mountain space <laughs> yeah, yeah we're staying 100 yeah, okay. yeah. in the mountain space Fair but enough. yeah yeah trying to trying to have some more products that that fit that and and maybe just some of the different styles and areas of hunting uh where the kit that you're going to carry in the mountains in Arizona might not be the same that mm-hmm. somebody's carrying in Northern BC. So being able to make sure that we have those pieces that better align with what you're truly going to need, because maybe the rain gear that you're going to need in some of those areas is not going to be the same that you're going to need up North and trying to fill in some of those voids, but it hundred percent staying in, in, inside the, the mountain space. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. If you had one tip for somebody to make their pack more comfortable, as far mm. as the way they load it, the way they fit it, what what do you got? The number one that I would say is your shoulder strap adjustment. That's that's by far, I think, the place where um, if somebody has issues with fit, that that's where it starts. You're talking and the height of it, right? The height of it. And normally it's because they're set too short on the frame. So when you're setting the length of those shoulder straps, we have a change in fabric color that is supposed to land right over your collarbone. So if you don't have that set correctly, you have I it set. I didn't know that. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. and it's like a it's a guideline, yeah. right? Like a starting point. So mm-hmm. yeah, most of the time it's that transition of the X pack, that black fabric yeah. to the Cardura, the gray, or the mm-hmm. Ranger, whatever you have. Ideally, that's going to hit somewhere on your collarbone. Now everybody's body's a little bit different, right? Like I'm, you know, chubby, athletic, and <laughs> string bean boy here, right? So my fit's going to be a little bit different than than Kurt's. And like I like to run my shoulder straps. I run them a little bit longer and I actually run a pair of our long shoulder straps mm-hmm. just because I'm pretty barrel chested. And what I find is sometimes, yeah, that pressure of like not having those set correctly um, can be uncomfortable. So I'll run mine a little longer because I like them to hit me a little bit further back. I like in the that body. too. I hate when mine yeah. hit high. Yeah. And yeah. so that's just an adjustment thing, right? Yeah. And it really helps pull that pack, that load like up on your shoulders, mm-hmm. right? Um, my, the biggest thing I always see is just how you actually address and put on a backpack. So, a lot of guys put it on and like they pull their shoulder straps first or like they do their chest straps first like put it on have all your straps relatively loose put it on do your waist belt first get that comfortable shoulder strap shoulder strap and then chest strap and like sometimes just that simple process of like getting that weight on your hips first and making sure that's correct will really help you like dial in your shoulder mm-hmm. straps but yeah, yeah sometimes guys it's like man have you have you ever gotten dressed in the morning like you don't put both legs in one pant right like <laughs> it's true just, yeah there's a process for that and i think that really helps and then uh, the other one we see too is load lifters. Mm-hmm. Um, you just want those guys, like in general, when you're hiking around, like just make them tight. Like they don't need to be over over tightened. Uh, you see a lot of guys that over tighten them. When it does, it actually pulls your shoulder strap up. So rather than like curving over your shoulder, it makes it up. And so now you have this void right here, yeah. right? And that's going to put a lot of pressure on the front of your shoulders and on the back of your shoulders and add a lot of fatigue. You want that shoulder strap to just perfectly curve up and over full contact the entire time. Gotcha. Yeah. How often do you refit your steeth? Oh, dude, uh, I don't know about Kurt. Me, like, I might refit mine a couple times during a hunt. Really? Yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely, depending on, like, uh, like you hike into a spot, you dump all your camp stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Now my backpack feels a little bit different. I'll make a quick adjustment that day, hike with it. Heavy load, like, I might adjust mine once or twice on a heavy load to kind of reposition things on my body. Yeah. Yep. And early to late season. Yep. Because you go out and you're just wearing base layers, there's a lot less volume and it just seems to ride different. And and so lengthen everything out a little bit once you get under three layers or, hmm. yeah. I haven't adjusted mine in ages. No, that's <laughs> not, not the type of person does either. That's right. <laughs> I got it dialed and I think it works. Yeah. It feels like it works. Yeah. It is interesting. So it's, it is like if you, you say, you make the joke like if you got dressed in the morning, but it, I mean, if you get set in the habit of doing it one way and just keep doing it the same way, like you may not know the difference of what it could make if you did it differently. Yeah. No, uh, I mean, there's a level of comfort, right? Like yeah. that's what you're trying to find. Like, yeah. We get guys that, again, like the shoulder strap thing, it's a, it's a guide point. But man, if you put it on and you wear them weird, but you think it's comfortable, then that's, that's kind of half the battle. Like yeah. maybe it's not our intention, but it's all about comfort and everybody's going to be different. So mm-hmm. we I try to get people guidelines of like yeah. best practices, but. At the end of the day, do what's comfortable for you. I didn't know that about the color change. So I know that either. Now I gotta try that yeah. when yeah. I get home. I have mine in, uh, in my garage, and I've got 50 pounds of gravel in a bag yeah. loaded up on the load mm. shelf, and then I'll jump on the treadmill and do some miles with it. So that's perfect. That's the only thing we tell people: don't put weights on your frame. It's yeah. hard on them. But to but, that point, but bags of sand. Yeah. Yeah. Bags yeah. of sand, uh, salt. Yeah. Um, Wood pellets for your yeah. stoves, any, any of that type of thing. Yeah. But that that is one of the things, and we've tried to communicate too, is that you can train all year and get your body in shape, but there is just something different about getting under the load of a backpack. Mm-hmm. And if you climb under it, no matter what type of shape, for the first time when you go in, it's almost guaranteed your hips, shoulders, 
traps, lats, like everything's mm-hmm. going to be sore just because you use so much of, of, of your core to support that. So I still think one of the biggest things that we could do to increase the comfort is spend more time doing it. It's mm-hmm. just like if, if you work out in the weight room and you wait until one day to do squats and that's you're only going to do squats for three months and you're going to go out and try to do the best you can squats on the first day, it'd be miserable. Yeah. And it's no different with the backpack. A few years ago, I had I wasn't doing I wasn't rucking or anything. I was just mostly running. I would run every day, trail run every day, every day, every day, trail run. And I was doing fine. I had a great hunting season. I think maybe the year after uh, I started three days a week, I wouldn't run. I'd skip my run just because I got bored running the same trails and I would throw, you know, the ruck on and I would mm-hmm. do that. And I ran a trail run, a trail half, I remember. And I remember I'd run the same race before and it was hard. And I thought, ah, oh, I might suffer because like I hadn't been running nearly as much. I'd just been rucking. And uh, I, I ran so much better. I ran so yeah. much stronger. It was unbelievable. Like I couldn't yeah. believe it. I'm like, in theory, I thought I would do worse because I hadn't been running, you know, yeah. but just like those three days of rucking, I don't know what it was, but it just my body felt so much. I felt so much better. So that's kind of been what I've been doing. I mean, you know, I'm sure you know. <laughs> He's like, you're a there's, moron. There's no replacement for resistance training. Yeah. You can right. run and yeah, do all that yeah. shit all you want. There's yeah. no replacement yeah. for resistance training. Yeah, Weight-based people, training. Yeah, if you're, if you're going to do one thing, just put your backpack on and go outside. Yeah. No Walk around one, your neighborhood. It doesn't really matter. It, like, if you have elevation, underweight, do the elevation. But, underweight. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. all. Underweight. Just yeah. get underweight. Get your yeah. body used to being 100%. underweight in any way possible. Yeah. yeah. And then you can just vary the weight based on the time you have. Yeah. If I only have 20 minutes to go... Put 90 pounds on and go for 20 minutes. It makes a huge difference if that's what you're going to do. Yeah. Is that what you do mostly? I'm curious. Now I'm curious. Do you, do you run? Do you rock? What, what do you I, do? I try to do it all because I get bored otherwise. That's... But my wife, Nicole, loves to walk and hike. So I say, okay, where are we going? She'll tell me, and then I'll try to make a gauge of the most amount of weight I can carry and keep <laughs> up with her, You know, whatever it is. Yeah. It's a walk around the neighborhood after dinner. And, um, gotcha. Yeah. That's good. I appreciate it. We've kept you for over over limit. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, we're, good. we're not very good at that. You guys, other questions? Anything else, Brady? No. I wanted to get into some sheep stories. Both these guys have been killing some how, sheep. How many sheep have you killed, bad. Kurt? Um, how many dolls when you lived up there? Six. Six dolls? Yeah. And how many years? Oh, I was up there for 13. Pretty good. Dang. Yeah. It's a good your percentage. Biggest, what's your biggest one? Um, I shot one that was 44 and three eighths. Whoa. How big is that? That'll do. Is that big? It's long. (laughs) (laughs) It's long. Yeah. Yeah. What does that rank as far as? I mean, I don't. I wouldn't be the one to know, but like, all I know is over 40 is like a massive accomplishment and that's that's, and that's wildly over. Yeah. But it's just like big horns or anything else. You could shoot a short ram that has. 17 inch bases yeah. and all of a sudden your score goes up so it um it didn't have giant bases and uh but it, it, it was he with cool. a yeah he looks cool he yeah. was with a ram that i think would have scored better huh. but it, it's just hard to pass up on something unique yeah yeah gotcha yeah. and that's, Damn, that's big that's wild yeah. do you have one that was like most memorable um Oh, I don't know. That's pretty hard. I, that, that one was pretty memorable just because you, you never really you go out in hopes of being able to find something that, that you might not find again. Yeah. 
and pretty confident that was probably the time. So, yeah, that that one was pretty cool. Wow. Someday, huh? Someday. Forty four. Someday. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thank we'll, you. Uh, we'll run you over and let you guys uh, do some customer service Good stuff. Work. I might even go watch right. that too. Yeah, I might too. Get some tips. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.